The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, Jacob. How you doing? Good to see you again, man. Good to see you. First time we met, we were talking about earlier, uh, you took your kids to Fear Factor. It was a gross day, right? Weren't they all? I no, the, the second day is always the gross day. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was the first day is a big oh, stunt. Today, the first day is the sports day. Yeah, more. and then the second day oh. it's disgusting, and then the third day it's usually something. Well, had epic. I had a choice, we would have picked the disgusting day anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty wild. I don't remember what it was. Do you? No, you know, it was downtown. It was in an abandoned building, like a yeah. warehouse style, and it was disgusting before you guys even started. It was. I do remember that lo what looked like an exploded, melted cat on a chair. Oh, there was fur. There was a face, and it had been like for many. I don't know how, how long it had been. That there, might but... be just a part of the landscape. I'm saying that had nothing. Yeah. To, that wasn't you guys. Those downtown buildings, like that, was when I first found out about Skid Row. Was working for Fear Factor. Like if you're a person that just spends time in Hollywood or Beverly Hills or Tarzana or whatever, you don't know that there is this crazy spot in downtown where they've basically contained homeless people. They've set up shelter and food, and then people yeah. just camp out on the street. And obviously, that's an issue now in L.A., but yeah. this was 2003. Yeah, and that's that was mainly where you saw it then, but if you've been out there lately, it's, um, it's, crazy. it's, it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I'm excited to have escaped. Yeah, good for you. Yay. <laughs> you live in there? I do, just ma mainly because I've always been there. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think often about going somewhere else. You just transplanted here. Yeah, that was uh, my concern, too, is that I've been there for so long that I was just going to stay there. Where and were you out there? I was in Calabasas. Okay. I was out, like, in the, the suburban area. Yeah. Which is nice. It's quieter, and it's but it's not quiet enough. When I moved, I moved there in '96, oh. so or '97, something like that. But it was uh, when I moved there. It was, you know, no one was out there. It's like coyotes and yeah. owls and shit. Yeah. And it was just that's what I like. I like quiet. You know. Just Did peace. you have to commute every day for for any reason? Yeah, but well, was, you know, you just yeah. leave on time, and you know. I was like for when I was doing news radio, the TV shows when I first moved out there, and we didn't really start until 10 a.m. at the earliest. So you know, you know, by that time, traffic has started to die down. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, well, it's back. Traffic is back. Yeah, yep. it's back. Yeah, we got. See, we were just talking earlier that we thought there was an exodus of people leaving these major cities, but I don't haven't noticed that. It seems like more people than ever out there. Well, there's so many people. Even if you lose a million people or two million people or three million people you still have 25 million people jammed into an area where when i moved to la in 94 i guess it's probably i mean i gotta think the population was like a third of that oh yeah well, or a third less when i was going up out there there was traffic from i think you didn't want to be in your car from like five to six p.m right that's that it. was it the, I did, well morning traffic i wouldn't know about because i was you know, i wasn't driving but uh, no, it's just all day long, every day now. It's Sometimes I would come home from the comedy store at one in the morning and be stuck in bumper to bumper yeah. traffic. I'm like, what? And that's something. Fuck is this? Yeah, we were you know, yeah. landed LAX at two in the morning, and then take two hours to get home. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Or just the airport itself. It's such a jammed another, up airport. That's a crazy. I don't know whose idea. How about just a loop where everybody's just in the same? Yep. You go to other airports, you see how they figured it out. You know, they have separate terminals. Everyone's not just log jamming into the same spot. Like it's, yeah. you know pretty crazy do you guys um do you like la because you like to perform there no i actually don't perform there 
very often. In the, in the, I mean, not any more than I perform anywhere else. I'm just there because I've always been there. And there's good people there. I mean, there's shitty people everywhere. I mean, it's not L.A. I don't stereotype it that way. Have you ever thought about moving? Yeah. This is the part where I try to convince Jacob yeah. Dylan to move to Austin. Let's do it. I got five of people here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? At this point, if you're from L.A., you, you know, yeah, I know more people in other towns. So many people have left. Yeah. For a lot of different reasons. But I know more people out of L.A. than, uh, than certainly I, that I know in L.A. Is the Troubadour still happening? Yeah. I, I heard that the Troubadour was about to go under. Then somebody. Oh, I don't know. It. You mean like right now? Because yeah. if, I don't know if I, I don't know if they're what they're going to do. Because uh, I know Bill Burr was really worried about that. He loves that place, well, and he, he was going and buy it. Maybe he will. He might. Somebody bought Nate Nels. You know Nate Nels? Yeah, they, they did. They closed that down. They shut that down, and somebody rescued that. Oh, well, that's good. So Bill needs to go rescue the Troubadour. He may. I don't know. He's a cautious fella yeah. when it comes to like investments and stuff. Like He's a wealthy guy that pretends he's not. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah, it is smart. He's, he is smart. And we were talking about how uh, Bill has your friend Dean Del Rey opening for him, which is hilarious that you know Dean from the music days. Yeah, I've known Dean for uh, more than 25 years or so. He's a he was well. He was always a great entertainer and always a funny guy. And you, you, I know you know him as well. I was not surprised that he decided to be a stand-up, but... Um, I guess you made me aware that it's surprising to do that in your early 40s. It's real odd, yeah, for someone to take a chance like that and shift careers because it's a risk. It's a giant risk. Well, how so? Well, you you know, it might not work. And right. You're it, saying if you try it in your 20s and it didn't work, you got time to go do something else. Yeah. Or you have time to make it happen. You know, yeah. to really to make it happen as a comic, it legitimately takes 10 years. It uh -huh. takes 10 years to get good at it. You know, it really does in some weird way. I don't have that kind of time. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And for Dean to just take that, I think he was like 46. Yeah, he was. Something uh, like that. Yeah, but it seemed like a, a pretty natural evolution. But I'm, and I know other people who've done the same thing. It's their, you know, I'm not surprised. Yeah. You know, there's, there is a connection between guys jumping around on stage singing songs to guys doing stand-up comedy. There is a, for sure. there's a connection. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just the, the comfort level of being able to, uh, to do that. Just to speak in front of people, sing in yeah, front of people. Be looked at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. get over somehow, get the attention. They're very similar. Yeah. Um, this new album, when was the last time you guys had an album? 2012. Wow. Yeah, but, you know, I, I did not anticipate, I didn't even, I mean, time flies. Yeah, I didn't realize that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I tour every year, so I don't have, you know, I'm far enough along where I, I don't need to worry so much about making records all the time if I'm not focused or have the ideas so if you don't pay attention you just keep touring and touring and you know uh i did and then i did did a movie as well a documentary which had a soundtrack in between that the echo in the canyon movie which was uh an interview where we, we spoke to a lot of people who were around in the mid-60s particularly 65 and 6 the bands that went to laurel canyon oh wow so that took a long time to do and we interviewed people like eric clapton and uh and this was your project yeah what what made you? What was the motivation to do something like that? Uh, well, you just if you don't take a minute, you'll just keep doing it. You gotta get off the treadmill at some point, you know. And I've been making my first record was 1992. Wow. So, uh, you know, wanted to do something different, and I think it actually took too long to do something different, you know. But those take a long time. Documentaries don't really have scripts, you know. They just unravel. So you just have to keep going until it, it changes. The story keeps changing as you go, and then you need to go out and talk to this person to fill in that blank. You know, you got to keep doing that, and before you know it, it took three years. So, who was in the Laurel Canyon scene in in the nineteen sixties? Hendrix was there, right? 
He may have passed through. He's not. A, no, he's not an LA, an LA art like a Laurel Canyon artist. I thought he had a place in Laurel Canyon. He for may a while. have. I mean, we really zeroed in on one year, like '65, with Buffalo Springfield and the Birds. Wow. You know, these people getting together with so much talent in one group. When that dream didn't last, like none of those groups were able to stay together. But it's not about Laurel Canyon; it's entirety. It's people working. They wondered where Joni Mitchell was or Frank Zappa, but that was a different experience. And you know, Carol King. That's all down the line a little bit later. That's more of the singer-songwriter era. And someone can make that. I, I recommend Ken Burns makes that documentary because that's going to be like a long one. And we didn't get into the the the, the, uh, the riots and Sunset Strip and all that. It was really about one year specifically. Why, why that year? Just because it was like when these bands, like, you know, you got Buffalo Springfield, you got Neil Young, you got Stephen Stills in the same group together, you know, like that wasn't going to last. It's just right. two giants in the same space. So they were kind of figuring out what groups could do. I don't think anybody imagined having jobs very long. I don't think anybody was, you know, looking at each other's paychecks yet and noticing how these, the dream is not going to probably stay together too long. Um, but that was that's what we found to be interesting. And really, if you wanted a documentary about Laurel Canyon, it's I'm like I wouldn't be capable of doing. That's too large, mm. in, in its entirety. You know, it's probably something that you'd have to do for multiple shows, right? Like a Netflix style series. Exactly. Yeah. You could. You could. You absolutely could. There's a lot of different eras up there, and it's, there's also the CIA. There's all kinds of shit you can get into up there. I mean, oh, it's yeah. not just the music. Have you read that book, Chaos, uh, the Tom O'Neill book about the Manson family? No. It's all about the CIA and about yeah. the CIA infiltrating the hippie culture and, oh, yeah. and literally supplying acid to the Manson family. Yeah. It's, well, I know you like a good conspiracy. Oh, I, mean, I love a good conspiracy. You know, the hippie movement, you, know, you might say that was dumbing down America intentionally. I mean, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy in that. Well, if not dumbing down America intentionally, this is what I think about a lot of conspiracies where people think that they're engineered. I think more often than not, they take advantage of a moment and exacerbate a situation rather than engineer it from scratch. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think it's possible to engineer the hippie movement, but I think you can take moments like that and make the people involved look more ridiculous and more stupid and dumb down America in a certain sense yeah, or make well, people have a, like, you know, the 70s bounce back from what the, the 60s represented was a lot of it was people being upset at the negative aspects of the hippie culture in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, the most informed to get into too much of that. But there's, it's, we're doing it today. It's the same thing. It's, you know, distraction. Mm -hmm. You know, when you give people all, I mean, isn't it interesting, Laurel King? Look, I mean, you. there's another book. What is it? Uh, strange... Oh, it doesn't matter if I can't think of the name of the book. But that's all, you know, none of those people, there's other conspiracies that none of those people, including Frank Zappa, you know, wound up on the Royal Canyon for no reason at all. It wasn't by accident. I mean, they all have, they have all have bloodlines that go back very, very far, particularly with the military and royalty, that they all wind up in the same place at the same time is pretty much, there you go, weird scenes. You should check that book out. Yeah? Weird yeah. scenes inside the canyon. Laurel Canyon covert ops in the dark heart of the hippie dream keep this away from Eddie Bravo whatever yeah, you do because he's, I mean, he's already read it you might not believe everything in it but you will you will think everything in it's possible so th those artists all had a background where someone in their family was involved in the military or something along those lines yeah they were they all came from very prestigious places I mean all of them really yeah so you think it's been a while since I read that book but when you read that I mean that's why when I, I bring that up because people ask about Laurel Canyon, it's like I did not attempt, we did not make a documentary about Laurel Canyon because that's the other half of Laurel Canyon. 
that needs to be discussed as well if you care about it. And that's, I mean, bands are endlessly interesting to me, but that stuff uh, up on the hilltop, having the CIA, having like a photo, you know, uh, they, they had a, a film uh, place up there where they had loads and loads of film that's gone, that's burned, the building is gone. Why is it gone? I mean, you, you'll have fun with that book if you want to check it out. Send me that link, Jamie. Yeah. Please. <laughs> It's fun. Well, it's it was it was a strange time if you ch- connect like the fifties and then the sixties. The 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 contrast of this the style of the country, like just the culture. It's it was so radically different. And the music is the best representation of that. Music and films, like music of the fifties versus the music of the sixties, is a giant monumental shift. Yeah, well, of course, what well, was brand new? That's yeah. why most of those bands were good. They weren't. They didn't have any bad influences yet. Oh. I mean, not to name names, you get further down the line. I mean, you know, as much as you might love David Bowie, he also is responsible for like influencing a lot of stuff that you don't like. You know, because it becomes harder and harder to find your influences, and you're you're having to sift through the muck of not only just bad influences, but bad equipment bad guitars, bad microphones, this all starts to change and it becomes, instead of, I got four choices in front of me to listen to and they're all really good, to now I got 20 choices, it gets, becomes more difficult to figure out which stuff is just clouding up your influences. But anybody around the 50s, that's why you get those compilations, why, why was everybody so good? Mm. Because they just didn't have any bad influences yet. They were all listening to the same stuff and it was all really good. That's an interesting perspective. So it was like fresh and it's almost like, they didn't have a chance to fuck it up yet. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. I mean, even the most mildly talented person, if they were only listening to great stuff, they'd probably be pretty good just because their sources are so good and they were so close to the source. I mean, rock and roll was so, in the 50s, it was brand new. But even the early 60s, it's still like, you don't have, I mean, I've been making records for almost 30 years. Wow. If you're starting out in 1960, like, 30 years is from the 30s. Like, there was nothing for them to be running around doing. That's a great point. I never thought of it that way. That is a great point. And then you also have to take into consideration that a, a genuine rock star was a literally a decade old. Yeah. There was no real rock stars. Well, you, had, you had Buddy Holly, you had Elvis, you had a few, Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. Little Richard. You had a few rock stars. Yeah. And then in the 1960s, th- that, that concept was little more than a decade old. Yeah, and it seemed like a good option at that point. Fuck What yeah. if you could, I mean, minus the plane crash, what if you could be one of those guys? Yeah. You know, yeah, but I think when they were, I mean, how big of, how big could Buddy Holly's dreams have really been? I mean, no right. one had, I mean, he was he 22? I mean, like, no one right. knows, no one knew, ha- the idea of having any job, I mean, I've had my job for 30 years, that's amazing for anybody to have any line of work for that long. So you go back to those guys starting, I can't imagine anybody wondered what kind of records we'll be making in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, I can't imagine that any kind of foresight. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's uh, Imagine if that guy was still alive. You know, he wouldn't be as old as you think if he was still alive. That's, that's, that that's uh, you know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't bring a phone into a podcast. <laughs> just, uh, I always yeah. just use the do not disturb. I think I did, didn't I? Probably just put, put it on there. silent. Um, uh, what'd you say? You just asked me something. Uh, imagine if Buddy Holly stayed alive. Yeah, you know, he wouldn't be that, he wouldn't be as old as you think. How old would he be now? 22, in the 50s? He'd be 80 fucking years old. Well, so is Mick Jagger. Right. You know what I mean? Like that generation, True. they're going into their 80s. And maybe he'd yeah. be, I don't know exactly, maybe 86, 85. It's, right. But, but you think he'd be 105. <laughs> he, he wouldn't be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, 
is really interesting, the history of rock stars. Like, it had to be, it's got to be a weird thing growing up being the son of literally one of the greatest musicians of all time. How how weird is that? <laughs> you have to be maybe a little more specific. How Your weird? Your dad? Yeah. yeah how, no, no, I know, I know like? who he is. I know, I know. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but I mean, what is it like? I mean, it's got to be well, fucking it's all bizarre. You know. It's all you know. It's all you know, but in contrast to what other people know, it's it's got to be very strange. I don't think it's strange. I never thought it was. I mean, it's I, I'm, I was always aware it was different than the guy next to me. Right. But I thought his life was probably pretty weird, too. I mean, somebody's dad being a, a, an oral surgeon was strange to me. Right. You know? But I also grew up in the 80s. It was a little bit different then. You know? And kids didn't really care. My friends, the people I was growing up with didn't know or care about that stuff. That's interesting. It's not until later, really. You saw people's parents act weird around you. Oh, wow. The kids didn't care. No kid. That's strange. Wow. Well, I'm also talking about L.A. Yeah. So well, L.A. in the '80s was such a it was a Guns and Roses fuck fest, right? It was just a that's crazy... late '80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, yeah, I guess so, right? That was like '87, '88, like Guns yeah. and Roses era. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a little dip. That's that was a quick short era. Well, it was a weird era, right? All of a sudden, everyone was wearing makeup and teasing their hair like a girl. Was like, yeah, I honestly didn't see much of that. I only went to the Sunset Strip one time. I didn't grow up too far from there. Uh, and I still can't really just, I mean, if it was like that every night, like, Jesus, like, I, I never saw that. It wasn't the music I listened to or the, none of the fashion, any of that stuff appealed to me. But they took over that street, and it was literally like the, the, the street was just nothing but paper flyers, and it was, uh, it was pretty something, pretty wild. Yeah, you didn't experience any of that? You never went to, like, the Rainbow Bar and Grill? and No, not until I was, like, those... maybe 35. Oh, okay. No. Um, <laughs> no, I never went up there too much, but... Those that, guys are still there. <laughs> yeah, that thing the is still there. Yeah, you can still go. <laughs> it's and it's it's a fun spot. It's like it a is. weird little, almost like a, not quite a time capsule because you get to it see is. that they've aged. You know. Yeah, it, no, it's a time capsule. Yeah. I mean, I've 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 only been there a couple of times. Um, I certainly didn't see that part of it, but it was a tough time coming up in bands at that time because that was pay to play. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was. That's why. Yeah, that was very difficult. Can you explain that to people? Well, that's because there's so many bands in L.A. You want to play. You know, traditionally, you get paid to play music. You're the entertainer. But because there's so many bands, they started, uh, they'd sell you the tickets. Now you go sell them. So it takes the weight off the venue having to you know, sell tickets or not. Oh. So you buy the tickets for 500 bucks, and now they don't care if you bring people in or not because they already made their 500 bucks for that band, and there's five bands that night. You know what I mean? So if you didn't have a lot of friends and you didn't want to go throw flyers around all day long, this is obviously before the internet. So how do you get people? I mean, I could. So what are you going to ask your friend to go who doesn't care about your band anyway? And then you're going to say, can you spend 15 bucks to get in? It just wasn't a good model for a lot of bands. And we did it one time and we ate all the money. Oh, wow. It didn't work. But there were so many bands that they could get away with doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do get it. I do get the, the, the why that was the thing that they did then. Um, but it certainly excluded anybody who just couldn't afford, you know, to buy five hundred dollars worth of tickets. Like mm. that band can't play, and a lot of great artists are weirdos and they don't have friends and they can't do that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that time period was uh, almost oversaturated, right? Uh, well, in L.A. Yeah. Just in general. Uh, well, certainly that scene was. I think that was that was the mecca. That's people came from all across the country and they're and they're. 
That was the dream. I that mean, was literally, you welcome go to, to the jungle, the, the video, yeah. right? Well, you had to have, yeah, you had to have a scene. I mean, Guns N' Roses is really, that's that's the end of it, really. That's Well, maybe it was still around, but I don't consider that group to be part of that. They were really a, a fantastic group. I mean, still are, but that the scene I'm talking about, and I think anybody who saw it would also agree, like that's they weren't really a part of that. Who was a part of that? A lot of bands with two X's in their names. A lot of, you know, two X's. Yeah, you know, a lot of bands misspelled. I don't know. I mean, I kind of want. I mean, it was more on the model of groups like Poison, which I'm sure you're aware of. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the look. That was the sound. You know. Yeah. And there was good music for some people. I mean, some people still love those songs. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. It was just the scene was pretty crazy. And that scene was that was the dominant scene in Hollywood, right? It did did it very much. Was there other styles of music that was coming out of that area? I think so. I think if you went east, you had, you had L.A. group. Well, I mean, L.A.'s had great... I mean, when I was a kid out in L.A., you had X and the Blasters. You, you had exciting groups that I liked. And then I think there's also there's Jane's Addiction later. There's other scenes out there. It wasn't just the Sunset Strip. It is always fascinating when one area becomes responsible for a giant chunk of the culture when it comes to, like, music culture. Like, that was one area. So it's not even a big area. You know, you think about Sunset Strip, if you're from out of town... And then you go down there and you drive two miles and it's over. Like, oh, that's it, huh? Yeah, and it was just really that. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. I wonder if you went to New York in 1986. Did they have? I never heard of it. Did they have a glam scene? I don't think they did. I mean, why only LA seemed to have that? And everybody, yeah. everybody got in their trucks and drove out to LA to be a part of it. Well, New York was different, right? It was a lot more punk. It was CBGB. It was, you know, the Cro-Mags. It was, it was a different kind of scene in New York, right? For sure. Well, I guess so. It's a grittier place, I guess. Yeah, it's just funny. I don't know how they dodged that glam metal scene. They, they dodged it entirely. They kind of did. Well, I think that if you were into that, you had to go to L.A., I suppose. Mm, and by the time you get there, it's the same as anything. By the time you, you get to where you're going to follow the scene, it's over. You wow. Know? Well, that's how that works. You know? I mean, I didn't hear about any bands who were not from Seattle who went up there with their flannel shirts and got a record deal after that explosion. <laughs> I think you, you kind of had to be there, you know? Yeah, I guess so. That's that, that I remember very clearly when Nirvana came out because I was at a buddy of mine's house and he goes, dude, you got to listen to this shit. Mm -hmm. And he, he put on the Nevermind album and uh, we were all sitting around listening to it and like going, I never heard anything like this before. This is I think you know I think every I think I remember the same thing too. It wasn't at your buddy's house, but I was in a van, we were doing shows, we we heard it and you know, it was explosive, but you also, like they said, like you knew this is the beginning of something else. Yeah. It, but it was, it was the end. My friend Eddie always says it was the end of that hair band oh, era. You've all the, many of those people have said so. Said when they were sitting there watching MTV with their, you know, with their sky high hair, they saw that and they like, they said, we're done. <laughs> That's, that's it. That's so wild. Yeah. That's so wild that an artist. We're, I mean, really, they just like, they're, they're draw, they just, they're, jaw would drop and they just said we're, we're that's it we're done because it was so it was everything any everybody could experience at the same time i mean it was it was real it was live it was there was none of the no shenanigans and like that's the writings on the wall when that gets over and you yeah. don't have to like be an actor like a lot of people do to get by like it was over yeah they just nuked the whole scene mm -hmm. it's just it's incredible that something can come along that resonates that well that just hits a nerve that well that everybody sort of agrees well that's a wrap yeah. kids yeah time to throw away the hairspray yeah. <laughs> i think just like across the board everybody felt at the same time they didn't have to go do you think so though really i don't know i i don't i don't think so. I mean, everybody at the same time was like oh that's it it's a wrap 
I remembered like a few years later seeing like hair bands and feeling sad for them seeing them do things and nobody gave a fuck about it anymore it was so hot yeah and then not anymore well it's hot again everything you know yeah that's true nostalgia comes around that's those, true people get excited about there's a, seeing... lot, a lot of boats out there playing to those bands jumping around <laughs> playing that's so true dude i live on a lake yeah they drive by yeah yeah it's that and uh, what's well, those cruises you know yep. those they get, they get and it's fun i mean like and some of those people you know they meant business they still love it they still care i mean so who can argue well it's one of those things when people hear those old songs it brings it back to high school or brings it back to when they love those no songs. intoxicant like nostalgia right yeah i mean it's the most powerful yeah you're nobody's void of that doesn't, doesn't matter it's uh, it's fun to have a band that you used to be embarrassed about that's not embarrassing anymore, too. Like, I never had that problem, to be honest. That's, no? that's lifestyle bands. That's the people who, you know, when you're growing up, they put they either wear a shirt or a sticker on the notebook that is really, they just want to tell you what kind of guy or girl they are. It's yes. not really about the band. It's, you know, it's it's kind of synonymous with the shirt, you, ch- you know, the, the jeans you're wearing. Right. Lifestyle music. Yeah. And there were people when I grew up, I remember, you know, you couldn't like the Smiths if you also like the police it's just like you got to pick a team and it's just like so childish and that's high school in general really but yeah. when you get older i think you just you realize wait a second you know what i really did like adam the ants and i really did like uh i did like the clash at the same time but yeah. i didn't realize i was allowed to do that yeah i loved led zeppelin but i also loved kiss and kiss yeah. was the embarrassing one and i had to hide it from people <laughs> You know what though? You're—I mean—I think we're pretty much the same age. That's the badge on everybody. I did not have a kiss face. I mean, I've been around those those people, and I, and I like them, and I, I see the merit in it. But I was not—that did not blow through my basement and like knock me out. When, when I was, I was really young, um, my uncle Vinny worked for Howard Marks Advertising, and they were the ones who did the album covers yeah. for Kiss. So I met Ace Freely when I was like—I don't remember how old I was. I was pretty young younger than 10 I guess probably and he had no makeup on I met him when he had no makeup on like he came into the office with no, and no one knew what he looked like and I'm like I, like I knew a secret like yeah. as a 10 year old I knew some crazy secret I know what Ace Freely looks like yeah so because my uncle had introduced me to them at a young age I was a fan like all through like from 10 to all through oh, yeah. high school oh I get it. I know I totally get it the comic book thing like I get it that's they were, they were genius and I'll actually tell you a funny story he wouldn't I don't think he might haven't seen him in a long time but I met Paul the first time I met Paul Stanley was in a studio out in LA probably in like 97 I want to say so my, my son was four maybe and he was with me at five at the studio um, and I, the studio had like a big lounge with a big fish tank and I was uh I was small talking with, with Paul Stanley. My son didn't, he didn't have makeup on, of course, and we were just catching up on stuff. And an intern from the building, or somebody who worked upstairs, came down with, they just reissued the new Kiss dolls, and he came down with the box, and he was hoping Paul would sign it, you know? Because you gotta have it in the box, can't open it. And right. if he's in the building, you gotta have it signed. So Paul notices that my four or five-year-old look, is looking at the doll and looking at him and realizing that he, there's, there's a person in front of me who's actually a doll also. He'd never <laughs> seen that. And it kind of tripped him out, and he kept his eyes were going back and forth from the doll to Paul, to Paul you know, back and forth. And Paul leans down and says, "Did you want one of those?" And my son just kind of shakes his head. He's speechless. Now it's now, it's, now there's like a superhero in the room. And uh, he says, "Did you want one of those? You want one?" And my son just kind of shook his head. And then he stands, leans back up. He says to me, "You know, if you go up on Hollywood over by Vine, they still got some left. They've got they're not too pricey. They haven't overpriced them yet." He tells me where I can go get one. It looked like it was going to be the moment of like I'm going to oh, send you a couple of those. No. But he tells me where to go get some, oh. which is funny in itself. But Devastating. Kind of. I was like, <laughs> so he, he learned a couple things all at once there. Superhero person, 
Yeah, you go buy your own shit. Yeah, it's almost know? like how do you feel? How's it feel to want? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want one of those? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How's it that's, feel to want? Yeah. That's kind of what it was. Shit. It was funny though. Um, I went to see Kiss in, uh, I guess it was the 90s when they had their comeback tour, and uh, it was me and Kevin James, and Kevin James was also a closet Kiss fan growing up, and we shared that in common, mm. and we went to see him in L.A., and I'll, the, the nostalgia was so high, because they were wearing makeup again, they decided yeah. to put, you know, because they went through that whole yeah. phase with no makeup, and then they put the makeup back on and had the costumes back on, it was like, yes! Yeah. And we went to see, I think it was some, it might have been at the Forum, some big place in L.A. That's like the first reunion makeup. Yeah. Never take the makeup off. Nah, it should have never I mean, taken I mean, off. well, you know, if I could do it all over again, I'd start out with makeup. They'll never see you get old, and <laughs> you could do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, how great is that to be like, Seven years old to get to jump around in makeup, and I mean, at some point, everybody, yeah, I'd like, I'd like something on my face too. Yeah, you know? and you can sneak around that way. I mean, they went everywhere yeah, with that. What as with makeup or without? Without makeup, they can yeah, go anywhere. We didn't know. Yeah, I mean, didn't. the only thing was like, Do they you remember were, all those like, you know, the, right? The, yeah, walk, coming walking, out of clubs. Co- you know, yeah, yeah there's a lot of that. I remember Paul Stanley had a bandana on, like COVID days bandana, mm-hmm. was coming out of somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it, it just. Interesting that a band pulled that off, though, that there was a band that uh, became huge wearing makeup. And they were interesting in that they'd got very little airplay, mm-hmm. but they still would sell out enormous arenas every night. Yeah, well, they united these, you know, people like yourself. And Misfits. that was part, of, yeah, was part of the attraction was they're not on the radio. This is our band. And that's yeah. so, so many great rock and roll bands are like that. Yeah, that you know? is a thing with, that's a weird thing that happens with certain bands where when they become more popular... The original people that got into them get upset, like yeah. they go, "Man, I fucking knew these people when they were underground." Sold out. Yeah, right? they sold it's out. Not my band anymore. Well, you yeah. know that band that was your band. Like now that they're pretty, they're a lot happier now. That there's a lot more people listening. That's yeah, what they wanted from the beginning. They didn't just want you and your two friends. They wanted everybody to like them. That's a weird thing, right? Where people don't want things to get too successful because then it's not their secret anymore. Well, not only that, if everybody likes it, how how unique can it be? Mm. You know, the people like to feel unique, you know, that I'm the only one who gets it. It's such a stupid inclination because obviously if it's good, if you like it and it's good, w- wouldn't you want other people to know about it? Like, isn't it, yeah. isn't it good if more people find out well, about it? Well, you know, the goal is to be awesome and really big. Yeah. Like, like Prince. That's right. the goal. Right. Perfect example. Everybody thinks you're awesome and you're yeah. really, really popular. Yeah. If you didn't like Prince, like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like well, everybody liked Prince. Yeah, you, you, someone tells you, you don't like Prince, they don't like the Beatles. You don't trust the person. Right. They're either lying or you should probably just hightail it. Yeah, I've heard people say, well, a lot of the Stones songs suck. And you go, well, they had some great ones. They had some great ones. They had some songs that I'm not really into. It's everybody does. Yeah, but you can't say the Stones suck. No. You're not allowed well, to. Well, I used to, there was that, it was, I don't know if they still do it anymore. I used to hate that people would ask you, like, Beatles or Stones? Oh, those questions. It's just like, I, I mean, it would just make me livid. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's like saying indoors or outdoors. <laughs> right. I need them both. Food or sleep. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> kind of need them both. They're not similar. Why are we, again, why are we picking teams? Like, are you yeah. kidding? Like, they're not the same at all. What is it about people that do want to pick those teams, though? They really do. Well, they, they like to argue. Mm. There's no right or wrong answer to that. Or I should say there's no right answer. If you say, well, the Beatles, then you're going to get a, you're going to get a, that person's going to be a pro Stones person in a second and just want to argue. Now you you're not. We were talking about this before the show that you're not a social media person. You're you're not interested in any of that stuff. But a lot of people, 
use that as like um, to, as a thermometer to read the temperature of the audience to try to figure out what what people like or what they don't like. That influence can either be beneficial, like you can learn something from your audience and get feedback and it can help you, or it can fuck you up. The way you developed without all that stuff, do you think that there is, is it detrimental for artists to have that much interaction with, with people that are into them and to be doing like social media back and forth with fans? Uh, well, I would say first, if you enjoy doing it, you should do it. I don't like. There's people not unlike myself who don't actually don't find the, the joy of it, and that's when I, I feel bad for people who engage in it who aren't genuinely just enjoying it because it is it is something. And it, you know, for people like myself, if you just put up tour dates and record release stuff like that's not interesting enough to people to really get that kind of traffic you're talking about. But is it detrimental? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't have a grip on it. I couldn't advise anybody. Again, if you like doing it, you should. But you know, if you're not good at social media, uh, then maybe you won't get noticed. And I'll use I'll use Prince again. What if Prince wasn't into it. You know, he was large enough that he'd probably get over anyhow. But he might stumble a while because people are expecting that format of the interaction of closeness of pretending to be friends, and maybe it wouldn't work for him. Is that expected of musicians today? Totally. Yeah. So is that like something that's written into with contracts? They no. ask you to. Well, if you're young and you had a band that's really good, you know, don't before you send your demo tape to somebody or your link, you get, they're going to go to your Instagram and see how many followers you have because really? that's you're doing. They want to know you're going to do the work with them, mm. and I get that. Mm. If you got a hundred thousand followers, that's that looks really good to a, a label that wants might want to work with you. That's that means a starting. It means you know what you're, you're doing and you're you know how to use social media, and it's a big asset. If your tape is really good and you got great music, and they look, you don't even have Insta media, or you don't even you have you know two hundred followers, like that looks bad, and that might that might hinder your chances of working with people. Do you think that would fuck you guys up if you started today? Like, uh, would you think you would I, well, adapt and just change your approach? Maybe if I was twenty-one again, I'd maybe I'd enjoy it. Mm. You know what I mean? But you I don't, don't have. Do you have anything? I mean. <laughs> Got do you have, stuff. What do you mean? Do you have Instagram? Yeah. Do you have Facebook? Do you have those things? Yeah, we, yeah, we use Facebook. I have stuff. We want to come to my house. What do you mean? <laughs> I got things. I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, I don't excel at that format. We'll say that. Right. But I try to. You well, know? I, if I, somebody asks me, do you think Jacob Dylan's big on Instagram? I'd be like, a motherfucker probably doesn't even touch it. Yeah, I just find it, it kind of spooks me. That's yeah. all. I mean, it's all. I mean, it just it, follow your nose. If you like it, do it. If you don't. You know, don't let people pressure you into doing it because the the reaction that you're looking for, if it's not genuine, like they don't want management putting things on it. They want to feel you, of course. You know, and if they don't get that, you look at people's Instagrams. Have you noticed this pattern that starts out, whether it's people like yourself or, or people in bands or actors or anybody? It starts out with pictures of their plants. It starts out with their new car. It starts out with like their foot in the air by a pool, and then. You, start, you see the traffic start to pick up when you start, as you get closer to now, to today, it's pictures of their kids and it's them at the beach and it becomes very personal. Mm -hmm. But when it's more of a, your art pictures, your photography, nobody really cares too much. You know, they want to they see your candid, funny moments with, uh, you know, Kevin James at a right. Kiss concert. That's yeah. what they want to see, you know? They want something that gives them a view into your life that's not available yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And that's not for everybody. Or they want your honest expressions too. They want. They definitely know when you're, if you've got some management team fucking yeah. with it. Does that's not 
No, yeah, that's no good. No, that doesn't work. I mean, it kind of worked, but they, they, there's a feeling they get. It's a plastic feeling. You know, they get a. Yeah, that's not really using it for what it's worth. That's not what they're looking for. Yeah, it's just the concern that I would have for young artists is that I think you need a lot of time developing your thoughts and thinking about things mm-hmm. from an honest perspective. You like, know what you're never going to read about me? You're never going to see my name in a quote that says, in a now-deleted post. <laughs> I mean, hey, everybody's going to get their first one of those, yeah. right? I mean, right. That's it's forever. True. There's always a tweet, right? That's true, yeah. Well, especially if you like to drink. Yeah, yeah. no tweeting after what, 9 funny. p.m.? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could be hammered by 9. Yeah. How about yeah. just don't name names? Tell your story, be as funny as you want. Just don't, just don't say anybody's name in your tweet that it's going to come back to get you. Yeah, there could be that, or your your hot take on some controversial political situation. Yeah, yeah, it's not for everybody. It's a, well, it's a weird way to interact. It's just it's a good way to get information across. As far as like if you're a journalist or something, I think I think Twitter is better for journalists than it is for anybody uh-huh. else. But and maybe. Up and coming comics, it's not bad because uh, I've followed quite a few people while I see their posts and I go, that's a fucking funny person. I'm yeah. going to follow them. Just give me some more of that. What else yeah. you got? And then, but how does that always benefit that person you're following? Well, it benefits them that they tweet, I find out about them, and then maybe I meet them. And I have had this happen where I run into a comic and I go, hey, I follow you on Twitter. Okay. Funny shit. See, I wonder if a lot of people who have that middle level of like 30,000, 40,000 followers, how that's translating to their, uh, their outside of that, outside of the, the, you know, the Instagram, where are you seeing that work? Where is it coming back to you? Cause Club that's bookings. why they're doing it. Well, Club well for, for stand up, sure. Yeah. But for bands, like I don't, I don't, I haven't heard those people, you know, have 30,000 followers and put the record out. They don't sell 30,000 records. Right. Right. You know, it seems like for bands, you gotta get on something. There's gotta be something where somebody showcases you, whether it's the yeah. Jimmy Kimmel show or sure. something. Where the you know you play a song and go oh that's fucking great and then yeah, yeah and then it catches on yeah no it's good I mean I don't, I don't mean you know like, I don't participate very much in it but there's I mean I look at the stuff too I get it you know but if it feels natural you enjoy it then you should do it and it but if you don't like I feel bad for the people who just go along with it even though it doesn't feel good well now there's like new things like uh, TikTok and. He's, it's, it's, I can't keep up. You know, there's always some new sort of style of social media that you're supposed to adapt to, and I'm like, okay, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, I can't tell. I don't know much about that one. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I've had it explained to me a few different times. I don't really understand what how TikTok's better, different than the other things that are going on. It's an assault know. in your attention span. It just sucks your attention span in. It, it I don't need any grabs more of that. it and drags it because the the videos start playing instantaneously. You don't play them, they play instantly. You open the app, they just play video after video yeah. after video. And you're just like, ah! Yeah. It just, it okay. just, it just hooks I need, you. I need more of that. Well, I know a lot of people that like will say, I'm just gonna look at it for a couple of minutes, and then yeah. next you know, an hour and a half's gone. I'm like, what the fuck? Where's my day? Yeah, I know there's funny stuff out there. I mean, I'm not, Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. What do you do to entertain yourself? Do you have a specific thing that you like to do when you wind down? Do you like to watch documentaries? Do you read I do books? watch a lot of documentaries, do read you? a lot of, uh, uh, memoirs, really? I like those. Yeah, a lot of music memoirs. I'll read most books. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out right now. I don't know him. Richard Marks has a great new book. I just picked really? up. Yeah, reading on the airplane yesterday. Oh, so he should know. He's a social media guy. Is he? Yeah, and he should know it's working. 
countering everything I just said about my own <laughs> shit. His is working because I picked up his book and I think it's great. It's very entertaining. What's it called? Oh, here he goes. Laptop. Jamie, you uh, got it? Let's see. We're going to put it up on the big screen. Stories to tell. Stories to tell. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, tweet. Uh, sorry, the tweet didn't blow. Yeah. That's what it's called. Well, because I think anybody who's in my shoes in any similar capacity, there's, they, got a, they got an interesting story. There he is. Look at that. Is that fella. live? Hey, man. Still got yeah. the yeah. messed up hair on purpose. Um, but, it, you know, <laughs> everybody who's, you know, came to L.A., you know, to, to make it, I find their, their stories are interesting. Or New York, wherever they went, you know. Yeah. Do you contrast those to your own story and just uh, does it give you a feeling of like just understanding that everybody's weird little path to try to get to where they are is different and well absolutely yeah and there's uh well what do you mean more specific i mean just that your business like yeah. if you're if you're reading music memoirs that is your business and it's a strange business right and it's a business it's very much like comedy in a way that you know you're off with your first footsteps and good luck who knows where this journey is going to take you mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to me i've read a, a bunch of comedians memoirs or autobiographies or biographies on comics and it's uh, it's fascinating just because i can contrast those to my own life and just think about what that this weird path that they went on and i think of my own weird path and that it's it's a wild world you're carving out when you're carving yeah. a career in music or in comedy you know you're just yeah. kind of like hoping it works out yeah. and you've no idea and yeah and that's that is that is what connects a lot of those stories is interesting is most people you're talking about they come from nowhere they come from nothing and that doesn't mean they don't have a nice family life i just mean that no one's watching them right it could be anybody yeah. You know, talent is not, you know, it's not a genetic thing. You know, it's like literally just thrown up in the air and it just somewhere falls on random people around the world, you know. So how does it connect to one person who then has the ability to figure out a way to make it through, call it a dream, whatever, and get there? Uh, there is no blue, there's no blueprint. The blueprints don't work. Any, right. any template you might try to follow, it worked for that person. And that, there's just no reason for you to think it's going to work for you, too. You might start out chasing that, but inevitably you're going to have to find your own path. 100%, but it's really interesting watching someone's path when you know that they already did it. That's There's yeah. something about that, like reading about Kennison, like knowing that he already did it, like yeah. to, just to read the path and how it all went yeah, down. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, if you look at, like, you know, Prince had a really good book. It was actually a collection of things he'd written with somebody just before uh, that he passed. But you read the book, and, like, it's interesting because you're, like, you are, of course, you know he's going to be Prince, one of the more talented people that may ever, you know, walk the planet. And so you're reading it and you're hearing him get denied with demo tapes and you're hearing no one's believing in him that he's a weird kid and all that. But you know that he's Prince. Yeah. You have like, as you read the book, you kind of have a secret that like, you're unstoppable. Like this stuff doesn't really matter what you're going through in your high school and you like basketball and this person denied and that person didn't want to be like, none of this is, it's interesting. But what's actually most fascinating is you literally were, you were destined to be Prince one way or another. Yeah. This stuff is almost inconsequential. You're going to be Prince someday. Well, it is fascinating knowing that he he did become Prince, but you kind of feel the anxiety of the journey, right? Like when you're reading about someone, even though you know it is inconsequential, you are, there's no denying he became Prince, but he didn't know that well, while it was all going down. No. That's what's cool about it. But it's fun to read. You, know, you can read yeah. that and you can hear the people who don't believe in him and you can be, you know, like, we all have a, oh, I missed that one kind of moment or I didn't yeah. see that, but like, I imagine being the guy who's like, yeah, you know, I had... Prince came into my, I didn't hear it. 
Yeah. I didn't hear it. <laughs> I remember the exact moment I first listened to Prince. I was in an Audi Fox. I had an Audi mm. Fox. This is a little shitty front-wheel drive car. I was driving on the Massachusetts Turnpike, and I had a cassette that I just bought. And I just unwrapped it, and I popped it into the cassette player, and it was, uh, I listened to I'm Gonna Be Your Lover. Mm. I Wanna Be Your Lover, that song. And it was the one where, you know, the, the cassette where him, it's like he's got no shirt on, yeah. and it's like he's just staring at the camera. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, like who is this guy? Yeah. Like this is just different. Yeah. You know, it's like he's singing in a falsetto about being in love with a girl, and his his voice is incredible. Yeah. Well, you could be that outrageous if you're going to be really good. Yeah, we get a lot of the other, which is people who are outrageous and they're compensating for not really having much to sing or say. But like, right. he, he had he was fully loaded. He had all of it. Well, he was that guy. I mean, that's who he was. I mean, it was outrageous because he was an honestly eccentric human being. I mean, that really was who he was, an insanely talented, eccentric human yeah. being. You know, I met him once. Actually, I met him with Dean Del Rey. No way. Yeah, at a club out in uh, in New York. Uh, maybe it's early 2000s. And I forget what the club was. It was, very, very, it was crowded. And somebody, this is a true story, somebody had come to me and said, uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, Prince is here. He wants you to come sit down. <sighs> and uh, I seriously, I heard I followed and I thought I was going to go sit with Prince William. That's, that sounded more believable to me. That sounded like I, that I believed. And then yeah. we went over and it was obviously Prince Roger Prince. Nelson. Yeah, but it was, a, it was a really funny night. I'm glad Dean was there too. Um, we sat in a booth. It was Prince and it was his lawyer bodyguard. He had a lawyer slash bodyguard? That's what he was. And he was a very big guy. And we sat in a booth. <laughs> and it's hard to imagine now that, like, you know, the guy, he wasn't like being swarmed with people. And it was Prince, you know, but. Um, it the he it's it's awkward. It's like you know you're sitting four of us from the booth, just kind of like you don't you know I know what to say, and it's kind of loud. So if you did if I did want to really have a conversation, it'd be difficult. But the bodyguard kind of nudges me, and he says, you know, it's been 25 years since uh, uh, Purple Rain, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then he he he's sitting next to me. He goes, excuse me. I said, that's awesome. He goes, what's awesome? I go, the the Purple Rain is 25 years old. What what a great record. And he goes, great record. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, tell him. He's, he's pointing at Prince. So now I'm like, he's a very large man is like nudging me. And I'm thinking, that's amazing. Prince, you're just like, he, is he, he cannot be insecure that people don't love Purple Rain. But I leaned over and I said, you know, Purple Rain, like, wow, 25 years, what a great record. And he kind of fanned himself. He's like, oh, well, you think so? And like, even Prince needed to hear once in a while that he was awesome. How weird is it that his bodyguard, his big giant dude, is like nudging you to tell Prince that he's awesome? I felt like I got <laughs> set up, like he knew Prince needed a compliment maybe. I'd and be nervous that he would be go, of course it's good, motherfucker. Yeah, I was nervous. Well, it was awkward. Like, what is it? It's like the Night at the Rocks where you just kind of right. sit in the booth just like, you know. Uh, it is it is him. It is it is Prince, right? It is. And then like, you know. And so you guys aren't really interacting? A little bit. Um not a lot. I think he just invi he invited me just to come sit just in his to booth. Sit. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but it was so also weird. very. It was very loud. <sighs> but that wasn't the problem. I think he just, you know, I, I don't know why I was asked to sit. But he, he was very nice. He was, you know, he was very very cool. Wow. Yeah, I fucked up once, real bad. I had an opportunity to see him live at the House of Blues in Vegas. And uh, he was in the foundation room, you know, that small room mm -hmm. upstairs. And it was, uh, I had a show, and my show was done by like 10 o'clock or something like that. And Prince was going to go on somewhere after midnight. 
and it was like 11:30 and I was like fuck I'm tired. I don't want to wait around. And I fucked up. Yeah, you did. And it was like early 2000ish somewhere around. Well, then. you feel like you fucked up only because you never got it. it. Well, you never got it's hindsight. You never had a chance to <sighs> you know see him. So I was just being a bitch. Like hey. stay up, power through. Yeah, you know, a lot of times you get say you, know, you couldn't see that coming. That one you probably should have stuck around for. You're not, you wouldn't get a lot of chances. I think it was one of those. There was a, a lot of nights where I would do the UFC, and then after I did commentary, then I would do a show, and then after I did a show, yeah. I was done. I was just beat. I just wanted, yeah. But it, I still should have powered through. Yeah. If I had the opportunity today, I would have fucking one. Yeah, a lot of times you do it. the wrong thing, but then you can say, well, yeah, but I got the story. That's, you, your story sucks. My story sucks. It's not good. It's just, I never met him. I never saw yeah. him, but I had a chance to see him in a small venue, and they yeah. were setting it up for me. Well, they you were know, hook if, it up. If you're, you know, in bands traveling through Minneapolis, every time you went through there, no matter what, from like I, maybe like '91 when we started, mostly up till he passed. Every time your band went through town, somebody told you, you know, he's doing a private gig tonight. Ooh. So whoa, where's that at? And they tell you, and like you would like hang out, and you'd be like, you know. Well, he doesn't go on till four. I mean, it was like literally every time the rumor would circulate that he's playing right around you, right around the corner, you should stick around. And he never did. Really? Not, not, he just wouldn't show up? I don't think he ever was gonna. I think it was just the Minneapolis rumor nightly. Oh, wow. Because he liked to do that, and he would do that sometimes. He liked to do those gigs, or he liked to tell people he was no, gonna I think do he liked gigs to just jump up. up. No, I think he liked to just surprise uh, people and, and play, you know. I mean, I could do that sometimes. We're on tour. You can go late night to, to where a bar band's playing, and you yeah. can ask to pl use the gear and play a little bit, yeah. you know. Uh, when you're on tour, that's a lot of bands like to do that. So I'm sure he liked to do that, too, and just go downtown Minneapolis and just go hijack somebody's stage and play some right. music. And if you do it a couple times, from then on out, rumor circulates that you're about to do it tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that before, and uh, there's a, a place in Toronto that uh, I used to do where I used to do this, uh, it's a weed bar, and uh, uh, they had weird laws in Toronto. I forget what the law was, but it was like almost like it was like some sort of a club. I don't know if it was legal or not, but they had like bongs in the front, like literally like a, like a head shop, and then you go in the back room, and there's like 150 seats and hmm. a stage. And uh, you go in there, and everyone's barbecued. Like they're smoking so much pot that there's no more air in the room. It's all just pot smoke. So you're just yeah. breathing pot smoke. So I would do a gig <laughs> at like a big place, and then go there after the gig and do like a late night spot there. Are those easy laughs? I mean, everybody's already. No, high. man, it's bizarre. Like the, first of all, pacing's a little slow for everybody. You're so high. The moment you get in there, you're so you. you there's no air. Yeah. It's all just pot smoke. So you're you're basically like in some weird altered state trying to interact. That's it. That's the spot. There's a video of me on stage there with the iron cheek. <laughs> like me uh the, the so ridiculous nice. spot. That's a cool looking spot. I think it's called the Comedy Underground. Is yeah, that what it's, it's called? It's closed now. It's closed? Yeah. COVID took it out? I think so. <sighs> but yeah, that's one of those things that yeah. comics like to do. I was uh I was in Denver once just randomly uh, I was doing shows and uh, I get off stage and Dave Chappelle's in the green room and I go what are you doing Dave and he goes oh I just decided to fly to Denver and I go do you want to go on stage he goes well should I I go fuck yeah hold on a second so I go back to the audience and I go hey come back sit down I go Dave Chappelle's here so everybody's like calling people from outside yeah. that already made it to the street come down and, and Dave does another hour and then he takes me out on the town 
like Dave Chappelle knows like these he knows these little speakeasies where these these weird bars where you you go down an alleyway mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense and then a guy's waiting with a suit and he puts his hand up and they open up a door uh, with no sign on it yeah. and you go in this beautiful bar cool. that seats like 30 people it's like one That's of those cool. weird things. He's that guy. Yeah. You know, he's that guy that he'll show up anywhere and do a show at one o'clock in the yeah. morning. He'll show up at bars on his birthday. He'll just show up. And then by the time he's off stage, the place well, is guys, packed. Well, guys, do you do that? Do, do you intentionally start try out new material when you do something like that? Would, would Chappelle do that? Or you don't do your normal bits, would you? I think he just does it to just do stand up. I think he would do his normal yeah. bits. I think if you want, but. Open mic nights are a great place to stop in to do new material. It's good to do new material at a place where the audience doesn't exactly know that you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. So they may not be your fans. Do you ever just jump up and do that with no material, or is that not wise? The only time I ever do that is they have shows like that. Like they have a show in uh, Austin called The Riff, uh-huh. and there's a wheel. And uh, they have all these subjects that the audience okay. members will fill out forms and they'll fill out like an index card with like a, a subject and they throw it into That's this bucket cool. and then they stick the subjects on the wheel and you just spin the wheel and whatever it lands on, then you start talking about it. That's what might it be? Goes. Like what would, what, music or might say? Pharmaceutical drugs. Okay. It could be music. It could be uh, premarital okay. sex. It could be whatever. Well, that, that's just, high flying. That's yeah, on the wire. That's yeah. pretty good. But the audience knows you're doing it, so it's a it's a safety net. Like it's fun. They know right. they're coming to see that. Yeah, and if it's not awesome, well, mm-hmm. nobody could be too disappointed. It's not like you didn't take the gig seriously. You didn't. You yeah, just showed up. We used to do that in L.A. too. There's a th- show called. It used to be called Thunder Pussy, and they changed it to Stand Up on the Spot, which is a much more tame version hey, of. Hey, wait a second. I gotta ask you. What about that? Uh, is it Byron Allen? Byron Allen. That the, show? That show. Well, that's not on anymore, is it? It's on at like three in the morning, weird hours. That guy's made a billion dollars. But what's from up that with that show? show. Is it, <laughs> does he, he doesn't do it anymore, right? I don't know. He might. But, but it, it might it's be still, still around. It's a really strange show. Like, hey, Jacob, yeah. I understand that uh, <laughs> like, you like yeah. guitars. Well, exactly. It's yeah. like, so you just flew. You like Hawaii. It's like, there's no, yeah. there makes no sense going from one thing to the other. <laughs> and obviously, like, I, it's a strange format, which is like, they have to act natural. Uh, but it's so obvious. I mean, when you do any show, when you go to Letterman, yeah, you do an interview with somebody and they'd have some things you're going to talk about and it would feel kind of natural. Right. But that is like one person is going off hysterically about, you know, this car that he bought and then it just goes right into skiing. And like, right. there's no, there's not, nothing natural about any of it. Right. And but Adam Carolla's talking about grilled cheese sandwiches and then this guy's Gabriel Well, Iglesias. that's the weirdest. Like, so you yeah. don't like grilled cheese sandwiches, do you? <laughs> yeah, but I like wonder the... if it's not on it. They don't film it anymore because I somebody think they should. Might. They might. They might still Can we film look it. that up? It is one, it's one of the clunkiest shows that's ever it's existed. It's so strange. It's not good. I mean, I've seen some really funny, but everyone's talking over each other. You can't. It's strange. I, but I wonder if it's, uh, if, if, if he's not doing that anymore. I mean, if you're a young comic, when, I mean, that must have been a big arrival moment if you were cast to be on that show. Not really. Not really? Like no. 10 years ago, you were nobody and they I let mean, you be on that it's show? Okay. It's okay. A big arrival moment not a, is not Letterman. Like Letterman or not quite right. that. But Those it, are the big shows. But that's... A unique thing that it was like four four comedians in one moment. Yeah, but it was on at one in the morning. Was it always? I think it was a syndicated show, so I yeah. think it was very profitable for him because it was. You should you know, do that. You should do one. The same version of it, like yeah, a, a version. Cut. No, no. Uh, I just not this. a good model. This no, is you don't. You don't. I want think you should leave all this behind. How, to do, it's not like this is going well for you. Where anyway. comedians cut okay. loose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was only taped for one season. They did it says they added more shows in 2014, which was seven years later, and they haven't. No updates. Wait, so there's only two seasons of it? Yeah, and they're like 15 years old. 
What? Yeah, like that's according to the Wikipedia. What? Because he's he went on to like his company just bought the Weather Channel a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, Byron Allen part, yeah. is one of like the most yeah. undercover billionaire characters really? in all of show business. Yeah, he's made okay. a shitload of money, and he made a lot of money off of that show. Because it's a syndicated show, so he yeah. could sell oh, it, sure. and they always needed something. But you don't think there's a spot for updating that format and having somebody do it? It's a terrible way to really? do jokes. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, no, it, but yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, a better way. Let's do it. <laughs> I admit this. Are you secretly <laughs> harboring ideas about doing stand How stand-up? well have I sold this idea? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm, pretty good. I'm getting sweaty. Are you in? <laughs> I'm in, man. I've got goosebumps. Yeah. All right, it's a bad idea. No, it's, you just can't. It's just... It's, it's crazy. You can pull it off. If you're a good comic, you can pull it off and be funny in those little chunks. But it's so obvious that this is set up. It's like like you, it's, a, it's a, like a bad acting gig. Yeah. You know? It's like yes. it's obvious you're acting. Yes. Yes. You like that. Yeah, Why do you like a, that? It's also kind of like- <laughs> Look a, at your what's smile. A, what about the rap battles? Those ones, you know, when they insult each other, like those are- It's kind of a similar thing. Like there's nothing- na- There's no other natural format for this of just one other- I mean, I'm not going to go down the road of like- telling you I know what is happening in that world but it's the same it's kind of similar it's an unnatural environment to have people doing their whatever whatever it is that they like doing like in competition basically yeah but rap battling is kind of an art in and of it itself is. that's a different thing that's like have you seen roast battle do you know about roast battle no roast battle is one of the best shows at the comedy really? store and it became a show on comedy central but they kind of fucked it up because they watered it down okay. roast battle is uh, a show that's at the comedy store that is it's my friend Brian Moses's show him and Jeff Ross is a part of it too and what it is is they'll have comics and they'll let them know in advance they're gonna duke it out so like say if you and Jamie were gonna duke it out you would know like hey on the 14th you guys are gonna have your night and so you would write jokes about Jamie for weeks and Jamie would write jokes about you mm-hmm. for weeks, and then you'd stand next to each other, and uh, Jamie would be like, yeah. "Jacob is think, Bob Dylan's <laughs> yeah. son." And I da, think da, I've da, seen da. that. Yeah, it's fucking great. But then it's not happening anymore. Oh, it still happens. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but, but you mean live, not it's show. Live. It's okay. not a show. It's better live anyway. It's one of those things where they fucked it up, turning it into a show. Yeah. Look, I'm glad they did it as a show because I'm glad those guys made money yeah. and Comedy Central, you know, put a high. It yeah. just. Maybe, no. do they do that anymore? Roast Battle's not a show anymore, right? It is that is correct? On, not on Comedy Central, I don't believe, no, but they're doing it online now from oh. the Comedy Store, so Great. it's sort of, yeah. Perfect. It's still a technical. As long yeah. as they just leave it alone and broadcast it live. The problem yeah. is Comedy Central, they wanted to get their greasy little PC yeah. fingers all over it and fuck it up, because it is literally the most ruthless show I've ever seen yeah. in my life. But Brian Moses, who's the host of it, is one of the nicest guys ever, and one of his things is everybody's got a hug at the end. Like, yeah. you, you talk shit about each other and then yeah. hug it out. Well, most often, I imagine those comedians are friends going into it, right? Yes. They know each other. So if you, did you see some at the end of it, they weren't friends? Yes. Really? 100%. Yeah, you see some of the lines that people would hit people uh-huh. with that hurt so bad. And yeah. they would be talking about it like weeks later. Can you believe that motherfucker said that about me, man? Like, But, uh, but obviously, you know going into this, that's probably what's going to happen. That is what's going to happen but 100% that's of the yeah. time. No, I've seen some of those, you know, the, uh, you know, the roast that Jeffrey Ross does. Yeah. What, what do you call it? The... What roast? What roast is that? Uh, yeah, roast. like just yeah. roast. roast? They, yeah, yeah, like a pick. roast of Rob Lowe or something yeah, exactly. like that. I mean, yeah. that's like, I mean, Ruthless I'm happy shit. you guys have that format. And you guys deserve to always have that to just say whatever the hell you want. Yeah. You know, but some of it is like, I can't imagine those two people are going to be friends again afterwards. I'm not a roaster.
I'm just not. Why not? I'm just, just not my style. I'm not interested. I don't like being mean like that. I definitely yeah. don't want to be mean while someone's sitting right there. It's just like if I don't like someone, I don't want to be around them. And yeah. if I like them, I'm not. I don't want to say mean shit to them. And yeah. if I, if you don't say mean, it's not going to be as funny. You know, the the, yeah. the people that are willing to go hard in the paint with that, they're they're the best at. It. Like Tony Hinchcliffe's probably the best at it ever. Yeah, I he's don't know who that is. the most vicious. Yeah, yeah, but I guess also if you allow yourself to be roasted, you, I mean, yeah, I don't care how invincible you think it. you are. Nobody's bulletproof. Some of that's got to hurt. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, if you could take it, it's uh, it could be a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they're not calling me anyway, but no, I don't think I could take it. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not for everybody. It's not fun. It's but it's a style of comedy. You know, it's like the dozens. Yeah. You're talking shit about people. You know. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, of course, some some wild ones. Some, sometimes you cringe and feel terrible. Yeah. Well, that is one of the things that brought me back to the comedy store. When I went to the comedy store in 2014, the first time I saw that, I hadn't been to the comedy store in like seven years, and I saw that, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Like it's it's really a joke riding show. It's it's obviously you're insulting each other, but it's all new stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I told comics, I'm like, there's so many guys that are doing this, that are writing, and girls and whatever, that are writing these bits that are they're doing such a good job crafting this material but then when you watch the regular act they're not taking any chances they're not writing mm. any new things right because they've they've known that there's this deadline this looming date of doom yeah. that's on you know in two weeks did from uh now. did the internet change that i mean for for acts for music acts you know the internet being filmed every night changed their their ability to do the same shtick every night and set up songs with the same yes. stories. I mean, they can still do it, but I would think there's some amount of, uh, you know, self-conscious, I wouldn't say embarrassment, that, like, your fans who have been watching every show of this tour, they're watching you introduce this song with the same story that it's, you know, it's an act. And right. you're kind of, now you know. I mean, you always kind of thought so, but now you know because you just watched this person set up the song the same way the right. last 10 nights. I mean, that's because there's great storytellers who set up songs. Whether it's whether you know Bono would tell you know he always he would like to talk a lot you know. And then what happens when suddenly the magic of this was supposed to be an inspirational story I'm telling tonight for the first time is gone? Do you have to? I know for art for bands like I a lot of people brought that back a little bit. They curtailed that because it's just not a good look that it's that you're basically you've scripted your bits mm. to set up songs. Uh, it's but it's been fascinating to me watching you guys do that that i watched for me it's the first time watching but you've got friends on the side of the stage and you're telling jokes you've told before and they'll come up to you afterwards and say you killed it tonight but you're telling a joke you know they've heard 20 times but it's kind of like a singer songwriter or anybody in a band who had a great performance of that song tonight you know the song but you killed it tonight yeah it seems so interesting to me that you can do that with comedians you'll tell your friend you even though you knew those jokes well, you nailed it tonight. And you, the you, the person telling the jokes, is not self-conscious that my friends are over here having heard me tell this bit 20 times. No, they know that we know. So it's like you're, they're fine with that. The, the thing, would, if the audience had seen the bits, yeah. that'd be a real problem. But you're not self-conscious telling this joke for the 20th time with your friend no. over here. No, not at that's all. What, that's interesting to me. No, because the comics will tell you, I like how you're setting that up this way. I like how you cut that part out. Oh, you I like will... this new tag you added. Okay. Yeah, And that's sure. part of the reason you probably do it, too, some feedback yeah. from other joke tellers. For sure, for sure. Okay. Yeah, it helps a lot. When someone's there and they could say, you know, last night you said it this way, but tonight you said it that way, and that, mm -hmm. that way's better. Okay. Or it's also, there's a, a thing that happens with comedy where you really don't know what works until you do it in front of an audience. Like, and I would, I would imagine you could write a song 
completely without any audience member, just you and the band members, and you guys could put it together and record it and not have any feedback from anybody else other than you guys. And then it would be an amazing song. That's impossible. Right. You, there's no gratification to tell a joke and just, you know it's funny. Yeah. Well, That's, not just that. It won't be done. Right. The only it way needs to be performed. Like I, yes. You can write a song, like you just said. Yeah. And it, you know, it is better to share it with somebody because that is a lot of the motivation. It's, yeah. I don't write songs for me just listen to my mixtape of my own music in my bedroom. Of course, yeah. So you do want, it doesn't matter who you are. Anybody tells you that they don't, they're not into that, they're just, they're just lying. People want positive feedback. Sure. And that's part of the exchange is, I wrote it, I created it, and now I want to see how people react to it. Even but, Prince. But I can record in the studio. Yeah, of course, even Prince. But like I can, we can record, and I can hear it come out of the speakers, and I can get a rush of how that's what we wanted to do, and that sounds yeah. great. You don't get any rush unless you tell the joke. No rush unless it's in front of an audience, and you don't know. There's many times where I wrote a bit, and I've got it set up. I've got like the beats. I've got the concept. I've got a point I'm trying to make. But then I go on stage and parts that I didn't think are going to be funny right. at all are the funniest part. And I'm like, wow. And then you yeah. realize like, oh, they're seeing it for the first time in a different way. Yeah. So they don't know what's coming next. So they, they're seeing yeah. it. There's, you, it's almost like you don't have the ability to see the joke. You're constructing it blind. Mm -hmm. You're putting it together and you kind of know how it's going to go out. But you don't really know until you're performing in front of people. And then when they see it for the first time, they decide. They decide and then you have good. bits you thought were going to be the strongest part of the set, and like nobody, cared, nobody Abs getting, absolutely. Right? And the yeah. thing you thought was just one joke to get to the next joke, you know, was actually. Would, but that's, I mean, that's those stories are countless for yep. you know, people. I mean, the, the, I would say almost every record I've done, my favorite song I thought was going to be the best, like nobody noticed. And then yeah. the songs are like really that one, like that's the one that surprised me. But because you don't know, yeah, how could you know? Yeah, you don't know what it's going to be like to hear that song for the first time and you have no idea what the lyrics are. And they don't know what kind of, the people who are listening don't know what kind of work you put into it. They don't know if right. it was easy or hard. They don't, right. I mean, like Warren Zevon's Where Was London is apparently like that. Oh, really? Yeah, that was not like, that was like an afterthought of the session. And it's his signature song. And there's that's a lot, crazy. I mean, if I'm wrong, I, you know, forgive me on that, but that's a story I've heard. And there's other stories like that. They, people have countless stories of like the song that got over was the last one anybody really cared about. Is there any one of it. yours like that that you thought were going to be giant and they didn't I pop? thought they were all going to be giant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still surprised they're not all giant. Um, not, not, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I don't get too involved. I never have gotten too involved with that, like going to record companies and telling them I think this should be a single. I, I don't. That's like not my... I can tell you what my favorite song is, but that's what they do for... That's her jobs. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to... You know. They have hopefully good experience in knowing how to do that. I'm hopefully going to like all of them. So if somebody wants to promote one or the other, like it doesn't, it's never mattered to me too so much which one. What is the process when you bring an album to the record company and you know they hear it for the first time? They're they're hearing the complete like they're not involved at all until you slap it down on wax and you bring it to them, right? For me, that's how it's all. I've never had a record company, you know, with their hands in a record. I've never been uncomfortable or been told to do one thing or the other you know i mean I've, and i've worked with lots of different people different labels and you hear those stories of people feel like you know the record company made them do this or that or they went more commercial and no one's ever been in my business for making records like that from a record label no so when you bring it to them it's a completed project mostly i mean usually you have you know with calling an r person who hopefully you like who comes around the sessions and you oh, okay. work together you know so they know what's going on and so they give you some feedback or they talk to you about yeah, it yeah and you know from my experience it's always if i disagreed with the feedback that was fine sometimes they have good ideas you know 
Yeah. I, 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 it's better off to see them as an asset in a team rather than anything else. Otherwise, right. you're bad. Otherwise, it's bad for everybody. That's what authors say about editors that you have to have some sort of a working relationship where yeah. you trust that person and, and appreciate you know, them. Yeah, and hopefully they can be really helpful to you. Yeah, you know, and and people in your student studio are not different than editors, really, in in a way too. That's what record producers maybe could do for you. Like I, I use record producers. I don't really need one because I know how to make records on my own. But it's somebody else. The different set of ears they can help you edit and be honest with you and so you bring the music to them and then they will say hey jacob this is a single yeah well i call them focus tracks now focus you know? tracks they there's no they, they don't, i mean i'm not in the world of singles that's you're talking when about does that shift i don't know it just happened recently i think focus tracks yeah well, because a single, you know, yeah. doesn't that bring up the picture of like a 45 mm -hmm. yeah. and going to radio stations and like, I got some wax, I got to play this, yeah. you know, and then videos and all that. That's for, I think they just call them focus tracks now. I like that term. That's a cool yeah. term. It's focus really track. passive aggressive and it's really like kind of doesn't, it, not here nor there. How's it passive aggressive? Just like it's 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 a single because you think you're making singles, but we don't really do singles anymore. But we're so we're not going to look at it that way. We're just gonna we'll call it a focus track. And then you wonder, well, who's focusing on what? What do, <laughs> I don't understand. Like I don't, I'm confused. So how does it work now? When when is it? What's what's important? Radio exists, but is it important? Well, it's it's not the same, right? Than what you and I grew up with. But and that's it, okay. I mean, is serious still? I mean, is that valuable? What's what's valuable? Streaming, 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 and is it because because um, you make so much money when they stream your songs? You're lying. <laughs> oh, yeah, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that talk about something. Somebody's happened. making a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Somehow they figured that out. These motherfuckers like, are clever. You know, and some of the people who you know, like, I mean, you talk to any, put anybody in this chair does what I do, like. They can probably explain to you like how it happened, but we don't know when it happened and how it stuck. That like we're just going to take your music and you know you're going to make zero zero like point five cents per fifty streams. I mean like that's really affected a lot of people greatly. It's got you know? to. But when you say what is saying like that's you ask what does count? What does matter? Streaming, but in that world, but my it doesn't world, count in the same sense that record sales counted twenty years ago. I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I'm right? not, I don't, I mean, honestly, like. 20 I only, years is wrong too, right? It's more like 25, right? Since what? Since, since people since were selling loads of Napster records. Napster. Yeah. Like that's, that it's was. Like the, 2000. Yeah. Yeah. No, that changed everything. Record company had a chance to really not screw that up. You know, those guys at Napster, they wanted to like party together. They wanted to like do business together. Record yeah. business said no. And don't ask me how the film business, you know, figured that out and protected themselves better, but. I remember being around here in those conversations about the Napster stuff and like record business was like, you know, put the finger to them and like, I mean, nobody could see what was coming except the Napster people that like yeah. it was just going to all dissipate and the record business never recovered. I remember finding out about it that you could just download almost any album. You just hit that button. Hopefully I don't get interrupted for the next three days and you got that Yeah, record. I was like, this is the craziest shit I've ever yeah. seen in my life. And I, I had them all on one of them old wheel style iPods. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you remember like you get your, you know, your friend would like give you on, hey, you can you want to download my hard drive? Yeah. And borrow it and like yes. Yeah, I saw I saw that. I mean I was I wasn't that defiant about it. I wasn't gonna, you know I just thought I, I wasn't this the the, the the maybe the size of artists that could really object or you know, I saw it happening and if uh you know if Metallica can't shut it down, I don't think I'm gonna be able to shut it down. Right. You know what I mean? And um, in trying to shut it down, they really 
developed it's a very bad taste they put in everybody's mouth yeah they recovered but i don't think they were totally wrong to be honest like they weren't wrong but i think lars like the tone that he had about it was incorrect well they seem to be drawing a line between the artists and the fans and that's yeah. what was upsetting to people and everybody was really just there was they no one had any idea and metallica i think themselves have i don't know how they word it but they're not proud of that moment but they weren't wrong for like trying to you know stop the avalanche like they saw where it was coming like and, and they were, and to some degree, like they couldn't stop it. And then you have loads of artists today who can't work. Cause I'm sorry, people like to say, you know, you can't. They don't want to hear about art and commerce being connected. But like, you know, young bands don't make a living. Like they, they then they got to go get jobs. They can't play for you. Yeah. You know, and for a lot of that, for a lot of acts, you know, selling CDs out of your car, or whatever, that was enough to make a good, a, a nice little living for themselves. And with that gone, those people have regular jobs now. Do you think it's possible for someone to develop a YouTube-style streaming service where the artist can upload directly to it and then they can profit off of it and they can maybe split the profits? With, you know, the way YouTube does it with content creators. Yeah. Like, say, if you decide to be a content creator, you want to make some videos, you're splitting the revenue with YouTube, but you can make a tremendous amount of money. Mm -hmm. There, That doesn't exist with streaming, right? It's not the same kind of situation. I think, you know, again, I'm not an expert in this, but you're talking about such a small little file that, like, yeah, in concept, what you're saying is makes sense, but how are they not just going to steal that and, and it'll be up any somewhere else for free within five minutes? But doesn't YouTube have a music service? They have uh -huh. YouTube Music. Do they do that with YouTube Music? Do they share revenue with the artists? The I way they imagine, do it with yeah. video? Because uh, what what they do with different. video is but is that exclusive? It's pretty. You know, the, a lot of people give YouTube shit about like being uh, a lot of their censorship, and they they deserve that shit. But they also deserve accolades for the way they've allowed content creators to make money. They've kind of, kind of said, look, we'll work with you. We have this crazy platform, the mm -hmm. biggest video platform in the world. You can upload your videos, and you can make a considerable amount of money off of this YouTube platform. It's pretty yeah. nice that they do that. Yeah. If they could have something similar with music, and then people just adopt it, because I know a lot of people, start, they're using, there's a YouTube music app now. You know, mm -hmm. if they could have that sort of same sort of similar situation, Artists can become very popular inside of that world. But is that exclusive? Would that be exclusive with that artist? The only way it could YouTube? be is if you would have a copyright on that. Like if you have a copyright on a video, like say if you upload a video on YouTube and then someone else puts it on their channel, you could have that struck. You have a copyright yeah, strike. Yeah, you, know, you could take it down. I think at the end, it, you know, you're talking about asking a younger people today specifically to go pay for stuff and maybe getting for free for a long time. I don't think. But that's, that's not work. what it is. You don't ask them to pay. the The revenue comes from advertising. So oh. you 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 ask people to mm -hmm. pay for the service the same right. way they pay for Spotify, the same way they pay for Apple Music. It's not an exorbitant amount of money. It's a small amount of yeah. money per month. But in that, yeah. you get an unlimited amount of music. I'm for any experiment. I think that's a the, good experiment the, because there's no the, it's free falling right now. It's it's a uh, you know and I'm okay. I'm like I'm not if I was coming up today like right. I, don't, I don't know how you get started. Well, I have friends that are artists that are musicians today and it's a fucking grind like really talented ones that are barely getting by and it's it drives me crazy. And I don't well, understand. And it. we're all missing out. Yeah, we we're are missing out on great talent. Yes, we're missing out on their work. Be yeah, all, because they, yeah. you know, first of all, record labels don't. I came up the days where you know, record the record label wasn't expecting your first record to do anything. Right. I mean, maybe the second one would, but it's the third one they really want. That's they're building you. Yes. And that might take seven years. Right. You know, but you know, that's unheard of now. So again. We miss out just because a lot of those people that need that time to develop, need the support, need the funding, 
you know, they've got to have jobs and they can't devote all their time to doing it for us. So we, we're the ones who miss out on the end. There's always been that situation, too, where you have these really hungry, talented artists and they get taken advantage of by whether it's executives or who, whoever is the, the money people that figure out how to lock these people into some long-term contract yeah. where the lion's share of all their work and creativity is going to be enjoyed by the company and not by the artists themselves. You always have these crazy... That part of the model is, I mean... Hopefully there's enough pie to go around. Everybody is kind of okay with that. I mean, there's a certain number you get to where you probably don't care anymore how much they're making because you're making so much also, you know. But uh, I, but that model, that's that that's not a mystery, especially if you're like, coming up the times I, when I came up. Like, we already knew all that. Is if you right. got if you got locked into a bad record contract where somebody screwed you over, like it's kind of on you a little bit. It wasn't like it's not the '50s or the '60s where like we stepped into things and didn't know. Uh, and it has nothing to do with my background. I never got screwed over, though. The worst people I've ever met in this business were in the bands. They were, really? not, they were not the labels because you know who they are. You know what they're doing. They mm -hmm. don't really change. You're not gonna be, you won't be fooled. You know, it's the people that you have camaraderie with that you think are in the, in the trenches with you that you find out, like, those are the people that let you down more that you get hoodwinked by. The business people, you, there's no secret what they're doing. Have you been you've been hoodwinked by other artists? Every, well, everybody has. Really? Yeah, I just I'm not I'm not making a point about artists or shitty. I'm just saying the the big bad record business, like not not for me, not my days. I've worked with some great people, you know, some really supportive, uh, um, positive people who've been a great part of my career. Mm. You know, and I, I actually can't. I can only name like I can name out of thirty years, maybe like one or two people I came across who I hope I never see again in that end of the business. Otherwise, like that's a pretty good ratio. That is a very good ratio. So essentially, there's always going to be people that take advantage of people that don't really understand or are too eager and accept a bad contract. Yeah, but there's no excuses for not reading that. And we're just too far along. Like, yeah. you just it shouldn't be that easy to fool someone today. I've been offered a lot of bad contracts. Yeah. But I didn't sign them either. You know, right. it's that same kind of situation. And I've been in situations where I've looked at a contract, and it's that's the nature of most business deals is someone's going to do better than somebody else. Right. So when you look at that and you realize it looks like you're, no matter what, going to do better, this isn't a good situation. Like, it's I don't take that as like a personal attack or think, okay, well, this isn't good for me. It's not good. For, we'll just, I'll go find somewhere else to do this. Just, they're just establishing shitty rules for the game for but you. But there's no connect. Yeah. Right. But they're in, they're in business. Right. You know, it's like, again, Prince, what was his, uh, what did he say? They owned his name, right? I think it was something, uh, they, they, I, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but somewhere around the time where he changed his, just the symbol, and, and they said something about, somebody said something to about the record business. He said, no, I'm not in the record business. You're in the record business. I make music, you know, mm. and that's that's kind of it. It's, that, it's true. But they're not... There's no there's no similarities to them. There's no reason that, you have a, that you're a great talent that you should also have a great understanding of the business side of things. They're not really interconnected for most people. But we are far enough along now where hopefully you have somebody with you and things are more transparent that you shouldn't get locked into these horrible deals anymore. Do you remember when Courtney Love wrote that piece where she was explaining the music? I think it was in Spin Magazine where she was explaining the music business in terms of like where the money goes and how they fuck over artists. Do you remember that? I don't remember that, but then don't get in the music business. That's not new. <laughs> I mean, it's not, is that a revelation? Did no, you, she, did you read that? And you're like, wow. Like it was shocking to me because I'm not in the music business. Yeah. So to me, I was like, wow. So that's how they do it. Yeah. I was, I was confused. Like when it t went into like, you know, how if much you're a band, people bands don't do this anymore. If your band sells 2 million records, everybody in that band's probably making a lot of money buying houses. Right. Mm -hmm. And that CD costs $18. Like you're making your money. You're pretty happy. It's only down the road where someone says, okay, you guys, you, you did buy a house. Did you see how much 
that they made. And you are shocked for a second to realize you take that CD and you divide it up between yourselves, your band, and what the record, yeah, they make a lot more than you. Mm. That's why they're in the record business. That's what's And they're, you know, some of them are too smart to be in the bands. Or not smart enough. Well, it depends on what what you can handle. If you can handle, I couldn't handle that kind of lifestyle myself. I don't. I don't want. I, I'm. I, I invent things out of nothing. I don't want to be somebody who. I have to. Uh, my whole livelihood is reactionary to other people creating something that I can now work with. Right. That's I want to right. make it from scratch. Yeah, that's a weird situation to be in, relying upon other people's creativity yeah. for you to make a living. Yeah, and but you know you can do that when you don't have a you don't have a a, a creative bone in your body. Some right. people are really good at numbers and math. Some people are really creative, you know. And if you recognize early on, well, I would like to be. I mean, that's a lot of the great people who work outside of bands once wanted to be in a band, but realized like I don't have it. I love music, but I want to be a part of it anyway. I want to help someone else do great things, you know. Right. It, but I, I'm not the guy to be in the band or the girl. You if know? you uh, have your own music and you own your music, what is what does a record label do for you in 2021? Well, what do you mean? If you own your own music, if you like, if you create your own music, right? Mm -hmm. If you say you hire, what could a record label do for you? Yeah, well, they have money that you don't have to promote but, and spend and put you on tour. You know, young bands need they can't. You know, a van or no van, it costs money to tour, mm. a lot. You know, so so that's they basically that's, loan you the money. Yeah. That's what. That's how they can be good for a young band, really, or any band. Any, you know, it's like otherwise you you don't have the tools, the assets to get your music in lots of places. I mean, there's more opportunities with social media, of course, and it's you know, look. The good news is anybody can do it now, and the bad news is anybody can do it now. It just means mm. it's crowded, and there's right. just like it's hard to know what anybody's up to, you know. But now record labels, they can still have a, a great. They have a great purpose, of course. You know, they're you, some people say they're banks. They're just funding your trip, and you have you have a big bill at the end. And they have you a know. connection to streaming services. And yeah, they so have they all those contacts you. that that you uh, that you wouldn't have on your own. Now, when a person is like, say, if you're a new band and you get signed by a record company, uh, how does someone find out about you? I mean, what is the primary way they find out about you? If it's not the radio, which uh -huh. it always used to be, do they find out about you through streaming services? Like, are there channels that are sponsored that people get excited about because they know that this channel is where new interesting music gets broken? We're both going to do some home. We're going to do some homework after this, and if I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, really, that's the well. That's the question. I don't know. I mean, because there's it's just jammed up everywhere. You know, so a lot of great things about the way things work now. The models that we had before were really effective too, and at least you could put yourself on a path that if you did X, Y, and Z, maybe your band would get a shot. You know, play your clubs, get your demo tape together. Maybe a record company wants to work with you, and they're going to give you some money to practice. You know, you make that record, you make a video, and you go, they give you some money to go on tour. Like, this was a path to maybe be in a band that was successful. So you take that away, you know, it is just every man for them, every man and woman for themselves just, you know, trying to find a way to, quote, unquote, kind of get lucky. Mm. You know, if you're an established act, you got, op you got op opportunities. If you're doing it the other way, you're just, it's really everybody is trying to get lucky. And then wow. by the and when someone sees what that person did, by the time you figure it out, it's too late. It's got to do something else. Everyone, that's what it is. I mean, as far as I know, you know. But I'm also not brand new. Like if I was 21 years old, I'd probably understand this better than I do. Mm. You know, I, the way I came up was just a different. I mean, it was just a, a different model, and that's okay that a lot of that's gone. I mean, it's changed so drastically. I mean, you remember in the late like 90s, they had, remember you know what the Diamond Award was? No. That's when they had to invent it. There was you know, gold record, platinum record. 
it wasn't enough. People were going like 12 times platinum. So they invented the Diamond Award, which was 10 million. Whoa. The Diamond Award, yeah. That's how much money was going around in those days before the internet, really. How many people buy CDs today? Do they still uh, sell? I don't know where you buy one. Online, I guess? I guess. Uh, Amazon? Yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you, where are you going to play it? I mean, let's find. Lap, laptops don't even have yeah, hard drives. I think vinyl right? sells more than CDs oh, yeah. right now, but I'm going to get a breakdown real quick. That's interesting. What is Oh, for sure. No, no, it actually yeah. flopped. They don't, it was for a while like a bonus if your company want to spend some money and make vinyl with you. Now it's kind of like, can we, I mean, you can throw in CDs, but the production of that is like, you know. Yeah. It's the cardboard you put around it. It's cool now to have vinyl. Yeah. CDs don't, they don't seem cool. But why would you have CDs? I mean, streaming is one thing. I mean, CDs are, uh-oh. Wow, streaming's 83% of music industry venue. Wow. Oh, well, okay. Sync, what is sync? That's getting your songs in TV and, and commercials and, oh. and you get licenses. So that's know? 2%. Physical, 9% is uh, physical, so that's live performances? No, physical is a combination of CDs and, and LPs. and Oh, and physical things. Yeah. Oh, I get it. And then digital downloads are 6%. So physical copies are just yeah. 9%. So it's taking up the bulk of that pie right there. And then... Streaming, here. streaming takes up the bulk of the pie. So yeah, oh interesting. So CDs and it's kind of it's uh, in twenty twenty. What is happening in the, in twenty twenty? It says what? Uh, it's more read. vinyl than it is uh, CD and other. What are we physical. looking at? That's the the green and the blue. That's mm -hmm. oh CD vinyl. The green That's is yeah. vinyl, which is yeah. the yeah. largest. Well, you know, vinyl's not like blowing up. Anybody who tells you it's back. It's not like it, it's not. It's not you know not buying Kiss records. Not like Kiss records in those days. Right. It's, it's just, for it's a boutiquey kind of thing, and it's cool. Yeah. And yeah. what's cool? Well, it just it costs a lot, you know. So to to so people people who buy it, some people buy it from Urban Outfitters and just put the thing on the wall like decorations. I guess you could, you could do that, but you know, yeah. vinyl's like twenty eight dollars. Do you enjoy the sound of vinyl better? Some it's people... absolutely better. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. I just want to hear the song. Really? I don't. Well, I mean, that that question, like, what's your is it vinyl, MP3s, or you know, CDs? Well, no, yeah, vinyl sounds the best. But I don't have a vinyl player in my car. I can't take it hiking. So, like, I'll listen to an MP3. Like, yeah, I just want to hear the song at the end of the day. I'm caught up in that. bought this digital machine thing that attaches to your to your iPod. I never fucking used it. Digital machine thing. Yeah. I don't know the name of it. I'm trying to describe it. I'm I guess sorry. not. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it, it, it's, it attached. It was like a brick. That attached to it was as large, if not larger, than my iPod, and it attached to the iPod. And what it did was, it changed the sound and tried to make it more oh. true to what the uh, actual vinyl. Recording what year is this? Like. Recently, this is like twenty no, years ago. at least fifteen years ago. And I remember holding this stupid fucking thing in my hand. Go, why did I buy this? And like you're listening those, to it on what? Like listening to like with a nice earbuds, set of ear, so, ear, yeah. No, I had over the ears. Yeah. Well, nice it does. Set of yeah, it says you know look. You ever go online? You want him to go crazy? You ever go look at like you know turntables that cost twenty thousand dollars? I mean, really? yeah, and in the speakers and the cables. I mean, that's you know different kinds of gram for your, for your vinyl. What are you going to use? But you know, then you got to ask yourself: whatever you were listening to with that gadget, like the record you were listening to, was it even made analog? Or was it made on digital equipment to begin with? Right. Because a lot of people do. I mean, what's people are they make digital records on Pro Tools and then they put them on vinyl? Like it's. Isn't that mm, like a little right. peculiar? I mean, yeah. What is that? Yeah, I don't know. Holy shit! A fifty thousand dollar turn. That's fucking dope as shit. Isn't though. it? Oh, you get Look lost. You get lost looking at these things. God, They're that's incredible. So pretty. You Isn't can that buy cool? that 
for fifty thousand dollars. What a yeah. bargain! And then you put it in a room, <laughs> but then you have to have your room tuned. You have to have somebody set the acoustics in your room, put baffles. And, I mean, you're, you'll you'll never be done. Well, uh, Henry Rollins, who's a gigantic record collector, yeah. showed us his uh, setup, and he has these enormous towers in his living room that are like six feet tall, and they they're yeah. a quarter million dollars plus of just with those are speakers, just the speakers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's awesome if you got the bread. Yeah. And you got the room because it takes up a lot of space. I mean, you, know, you can't have your cables on the floor. Yeah, there, to... there's that's what he's got. That's the setup. Oh, it looks like ATM machines. <laughs> it looks like it. It looks like a robot. Oh well, you see, he's yeah. yeah well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, he's a freak. He's got a lot of know. CDs over there too, though. Is that him? Well, is that his room is this? Is this setup? Yeah, it's his. That's his setup. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. But he but, just loves the. But, but it's all sound. in. You have to go all in. See those cables. I mean, mm-hmm. it's speakers are off. There's, there's, it's. You don't just, you don't just take a, your desk and throw a turntable on it. No. You have to do all this. His speakers are out of control. I can't even imagine what those. What's going on with those? I think those are like I said. I think they're a quarter million dollars, right? Isn't that something, something? like that? Yeah. Look at that fucking thing. Look at it. Hold on. Scroll. Scroll down. What does it say? Two hundred k. Two hundred grand. Yeah. Oh really? Could be Wild shit, man. Different versions. Look at that. It looks, like, it looks like exercise equipment. <laughs> yeah, you got to be really into sitting there and and look at the uh, what's on the front of the spe- the amps there. You got to yeah. What are those things? I think you have to turn them on. You do like the superhero Whoa. three finger. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, he well he you know he doesn't do music anymore. He just listens to it. Yeah. Most of what he does when he performs, he does spoken right. word tours. He's sort of shifted into his own version of stand up comedy. You know, it's, yeah. It's very humorous stuff and interesting takes on things, but he's not he's not imprisoned by that format where he has to get, you know, if you're doing stand-up, people want it to be funny, 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 funny. They yeah. want to leave laughs. Yeah, he does spoken word stuff. He's got yeah. memoirs. He just, you know, he's very smart. It's like really good, though. Yeah, he's very smart. It's very like, interesting I've stuff. Liked his stuff. He, I like him as a person. <laughs> he's a fascinating cat, like the way he's managed his life. You know, like he has no relationships. Like he's like, yeah. it's too hard. <laughs> it's like it's too much work. That's funny. It's it is funny, but yeah. you when you talk to him and you realize how yeah. how nuts he is in the in a good way. He, you know, I don't know when the last time he did do an actual like a music. I don't think he could put his body through that. That's a young man's game. What he was doing. Oh yeah, like that song "Liar." Yeah, when yeah. he would get red in the neck. Well, that was also back in his powerlifting days too. Yeah, we had this fucking neck that started at the top of his head. Yeah. and came straight down to his yeah. shoulders. Yeah, but you know, that's that's a very very physically. It's you, yeah. it's hard to age, we'll say, when that's so much of your show is physical. I mean, Iggy Pop does that; he still gets around. But well, my friend John Joseph from the Crow Mags, yeah. he's John's got to be sixty years old or close to it, and he still performs. He like wraps up his ankles and warms up like he's about to get into a fight. Yeah. And, it is. Uh, but he also does Ironmans. Like he's he's constantly training for Ironmans, and he's like very. Well, strict it is. With if you want to do diet. that, look. I mean, there's guys my age who are getting their knees replaced and hips yeah. replaced because they, they jump around a lot on stage. Mm-hmm. Twenty five years later, it's like any athlete that's wear and tear. Yeah, you know? but it's hard. I mean, that's Maynard you know, blew his hip out that way. He's got a yeah. He's got a well, fake I hip. mean, just the simple jumping off the riser. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, t- all... twenty times a night. You know, oh, uh, fuck yeah, yeah. So you know, the, you have to find a way to. If you want to keep doing it, some people just age out. They don't want to do it anymore. Right. And that's okay, too. You can change your mind. Just go do something else. No one says you had to be in a band or on stage your whole life. There's no contract you ever made that I'm aware of that said so. You can do something else. But if you want to keep going, yeah, you have to um, you have to adapt. But to I think being... for many people, and this is the same in the world of comedy, too, the thrill of performing, it just makes everything else seem so boring. 
like any other kind of job that you would have, even if it's satisfying and you enjoy it. Like yeah. there's that many is, times where I've come off stage with my friends where we're like, Can you imagine if you could never kill? Like there's people out there in this world who never gone on stage and right. killed. They don't even know what this is like. Yeah. Like they don't get it. They're missing. Yeah. Well, that's right, that and you deserve that. Every, I mean, it's the people who don't allow themselves to figure out what that is are obviously missing out. But the world won't work if everybody figures that out. And we're not, <laughs> we all, there's going to be right. a lot of uh, things don't get done. That's so. true. That's true. But the point is, once you've already experienced that, for many yeah. of these people, you've been a rock star. It's got to be really hard to not be a rock star anymore. Well, I, you, you just don't want your life to be just about getting it done and just having a. I mean, that's like what kind of life is that? And live for right. the summers or when you can get a few weeks to go, you know, skiing or something like. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think most people wouldn't like that, and right. most people don't have the opportunity to not, you know, have those kinds of jobs and go to a high rise. And but like, you know, the lucky. I want to say the lucky people, but if you do what you do, yeah, it's impossible to imagine that kind of life. Yeah, I just imagine a guy like Mick Jagger that is pushing eighty years old who is still, like, we, we played a video the other day of him doing his, like, dance routine, yeah. like, at a dance studio, going over yeah. his stuff and dancing, and still got the moves. I mean, can you imagine? And what you thought, like, go ahead and picture yourself at 25 years old, and someone says, you know, going to come and go see a show. It's this guy, he's 80. You, you, I mean, even, like, the <laughs> Vegas crowd was done by 80. You yeah. know what I mean? The, the, yeah. Like the Rat Sinatra, Pack, they weren't yeah. doing that kind of stuff no. at 80. So. Well, they were always drunk. But it's a different age. Yeah, but 80 is not what it was. No. I mean, 80 is like, I don't know, what's 80? Maybe, maybe 80 is the new 65? <laughs> I don't know. But even then, at 65, who the fuck is dancing like Mick Jagger is? I don't know. That's that what's some, crazy. Well, they, that's one of the few. Like, they can pull it off because he's still fit and he loves doing it, obviously. Yes. But that's, that's a big part of the show. Nobody really wants to go see... You know the Rolling Stones sitting in chairs. It's, it's. I was. I would still go, but it's not the show that they've. That the reputation is. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing that, that it's pretty astonishing to do that. At that it's age. hugely astonishing. I mean, he is the canary in the coal mine. But if mine. he couldn't, they'd be done because it's a touring band now. Yes. It's not a record making band, really. That's the thing, right? And I wanted to get into that. Like, with a lot of bands, especially classic bands like the Stones, people don't necessarily want to hear their new stuff. They really want to hear like this entire catalog of amazing songs that goes back decades, yeah. you know. So, what is that like when a band stops making new music and they just sing the old music? Like, that's got to be a very different feeling as an artist, because isn't part of being an artist creating, and isn't that part of the thrill of being an artist? You can't name anybody that's not true of. That's that's doesn't matter. Even the Rolling Stones, they want to hear your hits. And, yeah, and and even. Even they are disappointed that there's not a lot of enthusiasm for a new record. That nobody is free of that. That yeah. happens to every, you cannot name anybody who's been around for any amount of time. The thirty or forty years into their career, people are as amped up as the quote unquote glory days. That's yeah. just part of the arc. And hopefully your ego accepts that so that you can be a performer and like put stock in that you have a catalog that people like, even if you're disappointed that it's from twenty, thirty years ago. But what's there is no alternative. There is nobody who's been hot for right. like forty years. Well, they had an album that came out, I guess the last one that people wanted to hear their new stuff was in the 80s. It's, it's Tattoo You, it's 1981. But I think after that. I like Voodoo Lounge, there's been records, but you want to talk about like going into the stadium. I mean, right. that's, that's Tattoo it's a long time. But what was in the 80s? What, what did they have in like late uh, it was 80s? like Steel Wheels. There yeah, was, uh, Steel Wheels. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, th there's, even even the Stones, it's just that's how that's how it works. Yeah, you know, and and I has anybody a, dodged that? 
Uh, I couldn't tell you. It's the nature of it. It, it, you know, if you're lucky, you burn hard and fast, and that's that's your, that's your ride. <laughs> that's and your then ride. maybe you can have a career because of it. Yeah. But you know, and that's that uh, that intoxicant that a lot of people just can't get out of their mouth is just being the center of attention in the prom king for then you can't for your whole life. You get you, know, you get one graduating class. This is your turn, and you're gonna make room for somebody else and right. move on down and have a good career. Right. But you can't sustain that. I can't think of anybody who has. Yeah, I can't think of any. You might have your favorite artists that you think continue to do great things after people stop listening, but in reality, like as far as their popularity, it's a pretty predictable arc. But it also seems that there's a point in time where they just stop producing new stuff. Almost all of them, like almost it's hard all the to make great bands. So it is. Well, it can be, and right now a lot of them don't want to make records because they. Like, what's the point? Right, there's I no mean, money in it anymore. Well, yeah, Stevie Nicks has said that. And I get it. She's like, it takes a lot. I got to work really hard, and it's expensive, and nobody buys them. Why would I go do one of those? Mm. You know, and but that's a different era that she's maybe speaking from. But I do get that feeling that nobody wants to feel like they're working really hard and turning themselves inside out, and there's just there's no opportunity for anybody to get this, and the attention span is so little. I, mean, I don't think she's saying she doesn't want to do it again if she can't do rumors again. Mm. I don't think that's what she's saying. She's just saying, like, I put everything I got into this and like I want it to be noticed and I that's I, I want to go do a show and I want people to care about the new songs and they don't, but they don't buy records and I get it. So why did a lot of the more established older acts just not do it so much anymore? Um there's no bigger budget for them than it is for anybody else in the record business. Because right. nobody's selling records, you know what I mean? Right. And Paul Simon, I love his, one of his most recent records, his wristband song. I thought that was just fantastic. Well, was, when was that? Uh we looked that up a year it's only it's maybe Oh, six, seven years ago or so. But the point is, like, it was great. It's, if you like Paul Simon, this is Paul Simon. It sounds great. These songs, he's never going to let you down as a songwriter. But did it react in the way that the earlier stuff did? Like, no, of course it didn't. It's not his fault. It's just not the world we live in anymore. Yeah, this, it's unavoidable. And it, there's a, also a thing, there's a limitation in time, right? If you go to see uh, a, a band, go to see Bruce Springsteen, that guy's got so many fucking hits. Even mm. though he does like four-hour concerts, you you won't. It's gonna take four hours to get through half the hits. Yeah, yeah. You know, he makes records people still really care about. I think, but he's got a very large audience. So even if a small portion of them are coming to the to the table, like you know, he's he's I think stayed relevant. He's one of the rare ones, right? He is, and there's. Yeah. I mean, that's. I only thought of that because you mentioned it. Yeah, you mentioned him. Like, no, he's he. But that's not easy. And part of his. You know, I think that what works for him is that he is willing to do whatever it takes to make a record, regardless of who it's meant for, the popularity. I mean, he's got one of the biggest rock records of all time. I mean, you, you don't have to do that twice. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, how many times can you reinvent rock and roll? Is, yeah. Is it, and is it your job to do that for everybody again? Right. You know, so, but his shows are so dynamic and exciting. Uh, and they, those songs, unlike most, most acts, when you go to, go to Bruce's shows, people do want to hear the new songs. They really do. Most, but you know, most so we acts, found the exception. Yeah, but like, how prevalent are the records? I don't know. I couldn't answer that. But I do know his. He's very unique as a performer, and his. You know, I mean, the difference too with him with other people is, you know, he writes songs in his career is really about a, a relationship with his audience. He keeps them in mind. I think when he writes these songs, he doesn't want to let them down. But right. it's this really nice line that he rides of pleasing himself, but also uh, respecting the relationship he's built with these people for many years. He's not one of the guys who says, or artists in general, who says, no, I'm doing what I'm doing, and I don't care who does or doesn't like it. Mm. 
You know, I think he really respects his, his his audience very much, and he's found a way to make the records he really wants to make. I mean, it's a, it's a you know it's a very it's some kind of sleight of hand trick that he, that he pulled. Well, he's authentic, right? That's yeah. the thing that's always come through about Bruce Springsteen. He's very authentic, like everything he does, the way he talks about things. It's very thoughtful. You could tell he's being genuine. He's really thinking about what he's saying. Me too. Yeah, you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> Or, as long as you're buying what we're selling and think it's real. <laughs> you too, man. Mm-hmm. You too. He's. Yeah. Uh, when was the last time Bruce put out an album? He had Western. Uh, no, he has his, his most recent one. Um, uh, uh, for you, what's it called? Uh, Letter to You. Is that right? Am I saying it right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Letter to You. Yeah. How long ago was that? That's October like, 2020. It, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, that was during the pandemic, I think, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I haven't And it was it. great. I'm sure it's great. It's great. It's always great. Yeah, he's no, he's a, he's one of the most prolific guys ever in terms of like high quality stuff. Yeah, he's got a song. There's a ghost. It's as good as any song he's he's written. Really, he never. He has like the very few people that don't aren't able to, they can keep that level of quality high. Most people have a shitty record. They just do. Yeah. Expect it. Right. Plan on it. <laughs> you, nobody gets out for free. I mean, there's right. just, you can't be inspired every year. You just can't be. You can't be your best every year. Now, having this gap of nine years, it's been about nine years since your last album? Uh, yeah. But, you so know, we, I was done. I, we could have had it out before in the shutdown. We waited. Right. And so it would have been eight years. But this uh, during this gap, was was it always in the back of your mind to put something else out? Or did you have to... Accumulate enough ideas where you felt like you could. Well, you're always you're always accumulating, always. But you know, like I said, we record 2012. I tour every summer, minus these times where you just can't right now. Um, so, but you know, there's a point like when you're starting out that you just feel like if you're not touring, then you better be writing. And if you know, once you're done writing, you better be making that record. And there's you know, you can get off that ride for a minute, which is. Uh, but I never made records that that speedily. I was never the, I mean, in the 1960s, people made two records a year. We don't do that anymore. You know, typically mm. it's like a record every maybe three years, but I've had longer gaps than that. Two um, records a year seems insane. It's totally insane. And they were great. You know, look at the Beatles, their yeah. whole careers, eight years. Yeah. I know, isn't that crazy? It took me nine to get this record out. Wow. <laughs> so isn't that crazy? But that's, but nobody should beat themselves up for that. There's something in the air. It was a different, it was a totally different thing. It was, it's, it does not relate. No one can look at that model and think, should we be doing that too? For you're not the Beatles for starters, and take some time. You'll, you know, don't give me every song you wrote this year either. By the way, just pick your <laughs> ten favorite ones. I don't need eighteen songs. Pick the ten best ones. What do you listen to when you're when you? I mean, do you have a, a range of kind of music that you listen to? Do you have like particular genres that you enjoy only? No, I like the. I mean, like anybody would say, the best of any genre um i like songs the best i don't i mean i I, and i feel that same way when i was younger i don't really i we were talking earlier about the lifestyle music i never really saw that anybody who had a great song it didn't bother me what kind of jacket they were wearing or what shit they put in their hair i just i like the song and i still like music that has the best songs that's what moves me the most is not the it's not the beats it's not the vibe it's not the stage diving it's none of the peripheral stuff that can be pretty cool it's really just i like good songs and you like them in all genres? I think so. Do you listen to country? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah? I what, mean, what are you into? 
Well, I'm, I'm, you say country. Yeah. That's, that's a very broad term now. It is now, right? It doesn't, you know, I don't know what it is now. But when you say country to me, I still think of George Jones and Johnny Cash, things right. like that. So the newer stuff, I'm not saying it is or isn't country, but it's just I don't identify so much. I don't think most people do. Well, it's kind of corporate country, a lot of it is. It right? is. It's just continuing to sell you what you already like. Right. They found a formula yeah, and they and just keep m- hammering most bus- it. Most businesses do that anyway. Right. They just keep selling you what they know you already like. Why, Why mix they? it up? Right. You know. But it's interesting. I did hear a couple of songs just maybe yesterday flying out here. I uh, came across just a, two different times countries. And it was interesting that they're, they're, the two songs I heard seemed so typical of a lot of it, which is no one's really singing about themselves. They're singing to you, the listener, telling you. They're talking about your life. You know, mm. you got very wealthy people talking about all they need is a pickup truck and a shack and you, not, you know, and everything's awesome. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't think you're living in a shack. Yeah. And I don't think you probably, your pickup truck's probably pretty tricked out. Right. Uh, it's kind of telling you about your life. And maybe that's what they like about it. Maybe that's, there is something that is similar to country music that's always done that. But uh, I'd rather have, you know, Merle Haggard or his Carter family or any of those. Yeah. The new stuff, it, you know, look, it's, I'm not the first one to, it's not my revelation, it's pop music, you know, it's can't just put a fiddle on it and call it country. Right, but the, there's guys out there like Jason Isbell and, you know, Sturgill Simpson, and mm-hmm. there's 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 people that are doing what There's would, country elements yeah, to those things. Yeah, yeah. there's that, that that's almost more like Tom Petty rock. Some of you know, it. And actually Tom Petty's music, like they... That world bit that his music pretty good, and they turned that into like almost. I mean, like particularly his Wildflowers record. Mm-hmm. Like that is a that's like a, a model for new country music, which I don't think he had any say in one way or the other. That is true if you really think about a lot of his music. It is kind of almost like a country, like American Girl. Mm-hmm. That's kind of almost a country song. Yeah, it's no mystery that they identify and they kind of shortened that gap. They closed in the distance because it's rock. Yeah. Essentially. And then the Eagles, are they country? They're not country music either, but there's country elements. Yeah. You know? So I say whatever you, I have no problem with any of it. You, you like it, you like it. I just mentioned it because you asked me, do I like country music? So right. it's just, it's important to solidify what is the different kinds of country music. Yeah, a lot of these genres are, they're kind of open-ended, right? Yeah. Well, country and rock. Like, yeah. Country and rock certainly is very blurred. I mean, but there's lots of different kinds of rock. So yeah, it's easier to like, put those two pretty close together but do you do you take time to just sit down and listen to music or do you just listen to me do you consume music while you're doing other things uh yeah unfortunately like most people do even if you thought you were hanging on to that thing for long over time it's just it slipped away you just showed us henry rollins studio like yeah if i had that studio that situation and i had it collect yeah i'd go in there and just shut the door and listen to music yeah and and you I, I can't shed any new light on that experience with music, how it is different with vinyl, just, you know, that you, it is something about it that's different. And we all know what that is. We've, you know, no one needs to hear me say what the difference is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't have a situation, but, you, you know, you don't do that anymore when you get older as much anyhow. And, like, you know, records cost a lot. Yeah. You know, I used to buy records. We did when you, you liked one song and you might like the rest. And if you bought it for six ninety nine, it sucked. You just didn't care. I'm not going to, sorry. I think your band's pretty cool, but I'm not spending twenty eight dollars to help you. Like it's a lot. You go, to, you're gonna come home with four records for over like one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred twenty five dollars or something. It's just, it doesn't matter how much money you have. I just don't think the format's it's worth it. That's because you could just get it in a digital format, and it basically unless you thing. have that connection to the experience of like putting it on a turntable, and that yeah. that's worth the money, right? Because that you are that's an admission to a theme park almost, right? You know what I mean? You're getting something out of that. And bands, 
they do when they make vinyl, they really care a lot now. We really like we do like going to honor whoever's going to bother to spend money on these things. Well, give them everything you got. Like think about it, work hard and make this something special for whoever does decide that they want it. And appreciate that instead of streaming it, they're going to go help, you know, have the experience of buying a piece of vinyl. Part of the process of uh, Tarantino writing, he was explaining, was that he goes into his record room. He has a record room in his house. He goes in there and just locks himself <laughs> in there and starts playing songs and playing actual physical records. Yeah. And then through that, he like gets inspiration for scenes and inspiration for, for moments and characters. You know, it means something to a lot of people to put that needle yeah. down on that record. Well, the investment is different, obviously. When you put it, I mean, yeah, but it goes deeper than that. You're talking about vinyl. You know, vinyl had very important, you know, parts of that vinyl. There was the first album, first song you're going to start your record with. And then there was how are you going to close out side one, right? And then you got, how are you going to open side two, you yeah. know? And then what's the last song on the record? There's like four out of ten spots that were like really crucial. It wasn't just a collection of like your best songs first, like CDs. But then we started doing like when we started sequencing for you know CDs, it was just typically like your best song first, your shittiest song goes last because that's all anybody's gonna they're gonna yeah. listen to it in one straight order. They're probably gonna leave the room within three songs, so they may never even get to the end of the CD. Do they but still records, have? Sorry, go ahead. yeah, no records. You could live with one side or the other. It's a different. It's not just the. It's not just that they sound better, and people made. I still make records, recordings with that in mind. Because you know, we used to make records. When you listen to records, your favorite records, sometimes there's purposely a shitty song on the record to just because you can't have ten singles on a record. I mean, Thriller maybe, but you're not really. It, there was an arc to it, and sometimes you'd throw in a waltz to kind of clear the palate for the next song. You'd set up the next one with something here. It was like a sh it was like a, a show. Mm. You know what I mean? Right, hills yeah. and valleys. Yeah, and that's why a lot of like when they called deep cuts or something on records. Yeah, a deep cut. To me, when I was younger, meant like that's for me. Like that's gonna be. That's not gonna be a hit song. That's gonna be something that the artists work really hard on. And it's not gonna be a hit. And that's gonna be for me. Now, a deep cut means nobody heard your song. Nobody cares. Do they still have those record players where you stack records on top of each other? That and was a good play? few records. Terrible, right? That's a good few records. That was a thing that they did for a while, though, right? Yeah, but you also know how when your needle went to the end of the record and then picked up and came back. Yeah, that was a sign of like you don't have a good turntable. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. To too long ago. So the turntable's not ever, the needle's not supposed to do anything other than play. Yeah, it just goes to the end and it's just going to sit there and make that And then you pick noise. it up. Yeah. So yeah. if it does it for you, piece of shit. Probably. Oh. Because I remember being a kid at parties and they would stack records on these things and like, this is the wildest shit ever. You don't even have to touch it. It'll just keep playing a new record. Yeah. But then they're sitting on top of each other, chewing each other up. Yeah, it was shitty vinyl too, though. The vinyl you were buying as a kid was garbage. Oh, it's a different yeah. vinyl? Oh, What's... yeah. The real good vinyl, you know, was like, I think that ended like maybe mid 60s, 70s. Take your records when you were a kid and they go like this and make it, you could like fan yourself and like, you know, you could right. make a, a noise. Yeah. yeah. That, that's not great vinyl. Oh. What's it like? So like if you buy it's like shaking a book. Vinyl. Yeah. Oh, so it's stiff. Yeah, it's strong. Just, it's just more gram vinyl. It's just better. Mm. But. It wasn't a problem listening to those records when we were kids. I had no problem with it. They sounded great. No, they did. Well, there's also there was experience that people don't get today, where you open up that album, like, and uh, a lot of them, especially like a double, like Kiss Alive Two, you know, or, or Kiss Double Platinum, like, mm -hmm. ooh, yeah. you open it up, and it's like, you know, it was a book. It was like yeah. there was images in there. There was pictures of them on tour. There was yeah. all kinds of stuff that would draw you into the band. 
Long gone. Long gone. But you know, I don't hold a torch for it. No. I mean, there's certain, but you miss it. Just that's nostalgia. But uh, you know, it's I don't like being in conversation with the people who just dislike how it is now. Like right. whatever, man. Like, let's move on. There's other stuff. <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, for sure. Just gonna be that unhappy guy just sitting around talking about how things were better when you were a kid. You're right. They probably were. But like, nobody cares. Move on. Let's go. <laughs> Because what's the alternative is you don't do anything. You don't buy anything anymore. You don't listen to anything. You don't enjoy anything. Right. And there is still plenty to enjoy. It's just sure. we're getting it in a different way. Yeah. But there is more of and it. And you're a cliche, by the way. Yeah. Every generation said the same thing. Of course, right? You know. Yeah. Every generation's saying that the good old days yeah. were better. Yeah. And they're going to do that about this generation because, oh, before you fuckers with your holograms, we used to actually yeah. watch music videos. Now yeah. you're inside of them. Have you seen a hologram show? I have not. I have not. I, can't, I mean, like. Well, I'm thinking about really. I should have said augmented reality more than hologram. I'm back at the, you know, the tent where there's thirty thousand people jumping up and down to a guy with a laptop. I'm still trying mm. to figure that one out. Mm. Uh, so the hologram you need to get on like, ecstasy. Maybe I don't know. That's all it is. Yeah, but if they, you go to those shows, those shows. If you go to an electronic music show, there's no matter. There's some people that love that to dance, better. and that's why they're doing that. And there's some people just love to be out and partying. But yeah. a lot of those fucking people are tripping balls. Oh, I would say ninety. I would say a hundred percent of them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. Not a lot of people sit around listening to reggae music if they're not high either. I mean, that's, that's true. Th but there's there's the that's okay. Interesting thing about these electronic music concerts is that that's one of the things that revitalized Vegas, is because people yeah. could go to these electronic music concerts and this guy was just pressing play yeah. on a laptop and doing this shit. And yeah. Everybody was going crazy. And how upset that Millie Vanilli? How upset everybody like that guy? Like <laughs> what a life those guys had until they got busted. I mean, yeah, but like. How isn't that funny to you though? They're like, this is okay. Hit the button. This guy makes like fifty million dollars a year being a DJ, hitting the space bar, right? right? And then Millie Vanilli, like, they danced, they worked their ass off, they tried. You were listening. You bought a real record. There were real people yeah. singing on that record. It wasn't them, but they humiliated those guys for like, you know, they okay, they got caught. But like now, I mean, I watched a little bit of like the Fourth of July stuff. Like nobody was singing or playing. Right. Nobody. And they, you're all lip syncing. You know, nobody cares anymore. And we shouldn't care. Technically, it's too big of a feat to pull that off at times, like Super Bowl. No one's sing, no one's ever going to sing. It's just too big. Too many things can go wrong. But go back for a minute and think about how everybody's minds were blown and they were angry, burning Millie Vanilli records. Because yeah. they found out that those were not the two guys who sang on the record. But you know what? Somebody did sing on the record. You were buying a record that people wrote right. and sang. Whereas today, you're often not buying anybody's anything. You're, and you're okay with that. I wonder what happened to those dudes. Well, one of them, I believe, killed himself. Oof. Yeah. No, it was... It was I found it really sad. I, and I found the irony totally crazy that, like, you still bought the record. You liked it. And somebody was singing on it. Yeah. Okay, you feel a little fooled that it wasn't them, but like, should these guys be like sent out to pasture for their whole lives and be humiliated because you still got something that was pretty good that you liked? I feel like one of them put out an album where he did sing. They did. They went out. I, re I you know, I guess I know a lot of stuff. You might be surprised. I think they did <laughs> go out, uh, and they wanted they wanted to dance. And they wanted to sing. They had very heavy accents. Oh. Okay. And they learned to sing, and they tried, and. I don't think it was even possible that they could Bounce turn that back. thing around. Right. And they had these, these accents that were really heavy, but like, you know, it's a terrible story. Well, it used to be a thing if you got caught lip syncing at a concert, people were pissed off, but now they don't give a fuck anymore. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's, what happens. And then you, 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 you put, unfortunately, the tables have turned where bands have to tell you, you know, we, we play live, we don't use tapes. Like, 
Right. It's it's like that's the deep. You know, you have to defend that. You want people to know that we're not doing that. You know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it has a. A lot of bands do that, and you know whatever whatever moves you, you should do. But remember, when people do that, when they play with tapes and all that, they're restricted by these tapes, so they can't go off the script at all. And right. imagine yourself as a comedian. What if you just had to do that? You could not go off script. Right. Which is when you play with tapes. I'm sorry. When you go see, you know, you know, Def Leppard, they do not use tapes. You know those stacked vocals you hear on those famous records. They they they're you know they're not young men, and they go out there and they insist on, from what I understand, insist on. It'd be so easy to have just fly in those walls of background vocals. Mm. But from the time they came up and from their own integrity, they seem to refuse to do that. But they're alone in doing that. Really? Most bands do. No, I'm not going to. I mean, I just watched this Fourth of July thing and it's just like, you got like four people playing guitars and I'm hearing like, I'm hearing like a million sounds that just like there's nobody here. <laughs> and I'm not surprised, but then in my mind just goes back to this was so. All, like 20 years ago, this was so insulting, and like you, you, know, yeah. you, you want to destroy these bands for how dare you? The only justification that I've ever heard for using the lip sync is some artists do a lot of physical shit on stage where they're like dancing and jumping yeah. around and f- doing. That's the first time. That's right away you can tell in those award shows when people have this big dance thing. By the you know, by the second chorus, by the second verse, if they're not huffing and puffing, yeah, you know, there you go, right. Yeah. But you know, it, it, people used to you know it was limited before. You had to you had to minimize your dance. You had to maximize and minimize your dance routine to what you could sing. People have been dancing and singing for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not a new thing, right? So you know, Tina Turner, right? You know, James Brown. They had to like they had to work together with your singing and your dancing, and you had to know well if I do that stuff, I'm probably going to be winded and can't sing. Yeah. So they had to work balance. Now it's just like let's get the don't worry about the singing. We got that. We got the record. You just let's get a good dance routine together. But if someone does sing and dance together, the impact of watching them pull it off, like James Brown when they, when he was in Zaire yeah. opening up oh, for yeah. the Muhammad Ali uh-huh. fight. Holy shit! That that video is one of the most iconic yeah. videos of a person performing ever. Yeah, Pink does that. She flies around upside yeah. down and sings. Yeah. And when you yeah. see that, you you can see things next. You can yeah. feel it, and and like it's moving. That's what yeah. separates some people from other people. Yeah. You know, if you can't sing and dance, then just maybe pick one or the other. Or but don't like don't pretend you can do both because some people can. And she really does hang from those fucking things. And she yeah. fell once and really fucked yeah. herself up. But I mean, you've got a superior voice. And yeah. You've got somebody who really can trapeze style yeah. maneuvers. You know. Uh, it's just interesting when you just think about how people were so punished 20 years ago when you found out like one there was one little tambourine in the background that wasn't live and real and people just felt like you fooled them and they were pissed and and you might still feel like that and I might because you were around them but if you're young today you wouldn't know the difference you're not expecting the act to just give you what they're able to do what happened I don't know I mean <laughs> at some point they just they just let it slip out just let it, let it go you know, like at some point, everyone just collectively thought, like, I don't care. It's they fine. accepted some fakeness. Yeah. Yeah. But it is showbiz. Yeah. You know, it's not surprising. And there are parts of it where it's it's technically just not possible. Have you been paying attention to this uh, Britney Spears conservatorship thing? I know of it. I don't know. It's very bizarre. I just started paying attention to it uh, this past weekend because uh, a, a bunch of artists started hashtag free Britney. And I was like, okay, what is what? What's the yeah. story here? And apparently, her father has a conservatorship over her, mm-hmm. where um, she's not even allowed to get pregnant, 
Like she can't take her IUD out. Allegedly, I don't know. I want to make allegedly. Sure this is true. I, I've heard that. I've also yeah. heard that's not true. I don't know. Well, I hope it's not true. Um, but the other thing I, is that you still think the, the okay, parent no what? <laughs> I think she has a partner. I don't think. I think you should back off that one. She has a partner. I'm sorry. Wait. Did I lose? I just lost. Did you no. lose me? No, I didn't lose okay. you at all. I hear you. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know much about that. I know what the I know what it means, but I don't know why she can't get out of it. I don't understand it because the judge just denied her to be free of this conservatorship. Her, her father has control over her finances, and her father is you know in control of her career. But she's thirty six years old. Yeah, I don't. You know. I would need a lot more information just on, I don't, I mean, how much time has to go by before you can prove that she can take care of herself? I don't know. I what, mean, she's why? She's clearly. How long has it been? It's she's like, clearly loony, but there's a lot of male art, artists a lot that of, are loony yeah, too. Like, they're not in control of their, by their father. Like, just just because you're loony doesn't mean, I mean, we have a long history of loony people. Yeah, we can make a list right now of some loony guys oh, out yeah. there who, like, hope they probably could use it. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean. Come on, Looney. Looney's got nothing. Looney's great. Right. We love right. Looney. You know, it, the idea is that it's to protect her. This is the idea: is that if you don't have some sort of control over her life, she'll go nuts. Which is like, isn't that part of being a person? Like, you're an yeah, adult. Well, that's, yeah, well, that's growing yeah. up, right? How does a grown adult have a conservatorship over someone who obviously she's not incapacitated? She's How's she going to hurt herself or lose money? What, what's because she's just going to go nutty and How spend they, all her money, but it's her fucking money. It, isn't it? Yeah, if you're a band and you want to go to Vegas and gamble all your money away, you're 100% allowed to do that. You talk to, M, you talk to MC Hammer? Yeah. There's a lot right? of guys, who, yeah. Mike Tyson, who, like, that's mm-hmm. your prerogative. Yeah. You, know, you make a dollar, it's your prerogative to blow it. Yeah, that's Seems what like it. I don't understand If this. it's physically, like, you know, going to hurt yourself, that's a different story, of course. Right. But I haven't heard that. But she could do that. Yeah, you could do that anytime. Of course. Yeah, it's, this has something to do with her finances. It has something to do with control over her life. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I know enough to know that it sounds really crazy, and I, and I know it was just she just recently tried to end it and it was yeah. denied. Well, the judge denied it, which is crazy. Which I means, don't know what case you'd have to prove about somebody to right. have them stay in that situation. Right. I mean, if you can talk and you can eat and you can go on stage and kick ass like she does, like she still performs on a regular basis. I don't know. It seems to me like if she wants. She wants to go throw all her money off a cliff tomorrow. She should be allowed to do that. Right. Who That's what's weird. can't do that. I've never heard of a situation like this before. No. Well, that's a money-making machine, right? That's the problem. Well, that's, that that's at least that whatever, keep coming in. whatever it is, it begins with that. She hasn't performed since January of 2019. Just for... Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, and well, she's just staying in Vegas. Today, people are, her manager's re- resigning because I she saw that she's today. quitting or she's retiring, so... She's retiring because Nobody she can't retires. get out of the conservatorship. Well, that probably because of that, but yeah, she's just done with everything, I guess. She's been trying to get out of it for a long time, right? Mm, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm lo- I'm trying to read through it to see if there's anything that like makes sense that we haven't said, but I can't find anything that makes sense. So, uh, so this is just pre-COVID, just a couple months before uh, the pandemic hit and everything locked no, down. No, a year before. 2019, mm-hmm. January of 2019. Oh, okay, yeah. So that oh, full year, right? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about that. I, but nobody, nobody ever retires anyway. No. Well, not if they're f- having a good time. H- how many rock stars have? You know, what's a great story is that searching for Sugar Man story. Mm-hmm. What's that guy's name? Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. Rodriguez. Yeah. yeah. That that's interesting. What if it was just made up? 
be crazy if it was. What are you saying? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what are you saying? I think about that movie. Like, well, I have a friend from South okay. Africa who told me he was that huge would be over that there. would be the way you'd yeah. know. Otherwise, plenty of people. It could have been like it was this close to being like maybe Spinal Tap. I saw Spinal Tap when it came out, and I fell asleep because <laughs> I didn't get it. I thought these guys were assholes. <laughs> so maybe it was that good. No offense to the artist, because you know I, I learned about him from that documentary. But it did right. occur to me at some point. Like, wait a minute. How would I know? This is you know maybe it's. Is this a real? Because we never heard of him here. We but, I, but the stories that were most compelling is people in South. They were he was like Van Morrison to them. Yes, that's I interesting. Knew a guy from South Africa who told me when he was a kid, they had heard all these crazy rumors about him that he died in a car accident, that he had, you know all the committed suicide. Yeah. This conflicting story, but he was a huge He's, hit over there. Yeah. Well, that's you know that's interesting. You could you can't do that now. No. If you're big anywhere, you're big all over. Yes. Because it's just a universal radio system, which is streaming, and we're all listening to the same thing. But isn't that amazing? You could be like. That size of an artist in South America, South Africa, right? It was South yeah, Africa, South and then uh, no, the rest of the world really hasn't heard you. Not only is the rest of the world not heard of you, but you don't know you're a big artist yeah. in South Africa. Exactly, you're busy painting houses. He was it's a construction a, worker. Construction, yeah. yeah. Not and knowing he was that, living like, in poverty. Yeah. And then he goes over there and performs in front of sold-out arenas. Yeah. It is. A, you saw the documentary, right? Yeah. It's a wild documentary, yeah. man. There's a lot of us sitting around wondering. I wonder how I would do in South Africa. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe right? no one's telling me. Maybe there's a huge thing on it. But today, no, you'd know today. Well, that's the thing, right? There's always some artists that do really well overseas. Like there's a guy named Arj Barker who is one of the biggest stand-up comics in all of mm. Australia. He's fucking huge in Australia. Sells out theaters multiple nights in a row. But in America, he's just a regular comic. But in yeah. Australia, he's like their top dog. It's just weird. Yeah, I'm surprised just because the internet connects everybody. But maybe he played. Yeah. Maybe his, he's he's there playing his his act more there physically. Well, he is definitely. So maybe that's but it's just for whatever reason he caught fire over there. And yeah. this, uh, Rodriguez, but you know, the, the live experience has a lot to do with it. You can you can still have like a large presence in America if you don't go to Europe and as an act as a band and like put that time in. The, the songs being streamed that's not going to be enough to translate to a show. If that's the go. case, why did Rodriguez take off in South Africa when he'd never been there? Well, that's a fluke. Yeah, I mean, but that's, it can happen. It did happen. It, yeah. You know. That guy, you know he gave all his money away? Talk about Looney, right? He's, You're going back to yeah, Looney. Yeah, he likes being- uh, They should have locked him up, right? You uh, can't do that. Give him a conservatorship. Yeah. His How kids should have locked him up. Yeah. Man, keep singing. <laughs> How dare you give away your own money? That album is good, though, man. Yeah. I bought the it album. It is. What? Well, it is good, but you know what? You know, Spinal Tap was good too. Was it? That's what made it so believable and good. Was right. the songs were really good. So when you hear the story about Rodriguez and you hear the songs, like I do believe that you because the incredulous. songs. No, but I hear the songs and like no, these are good. I, yeah. I do believe the story because the songs are good. That makes it believable. Yeah, but it's just so crazy to think that this guy lived his whole life yeah. not knowing that he was a gigantic star on another continent. Well, if I remember correctly, the story itself wasn't that unique. And just in terms of getting that record deal, getting your songs in the late 60s, wherever he was starting, and like that dream doesn't work for most people. And then you go back to your life and not knowing quietly over here something just took off. Yeah. It's kind of wild. And if they hadn't made the documentary, it would have been a great movie with a script also because this parallel universe, you're a giant and you would never know. Yeah. You know? It's just, it, yeah, if it was a movie, it would be hard to buy. If it was just a, a fiction, yeah, it'd be hard to buy. But yeah, as a documentary, it, it made me cry. No, it was good. It was good. 
And that 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 did get the music documentary ball rolling. That mm. film, you know. And then I guess the streaming thing. Everybody's there's a lot of people. I mean, there's like I, I haven't seen it. I don't think it's out. There's you know Sparks. They have a documentary, and like that's what that medium is really good for because a lot of people are going to learn about Sparks now that didn't know much about them because I'm I've seen the Sparks. Trailers. Yeah, the Sparks. They were the two brothers, male brothers. Do you know who that? It's mostly late seventies, eighties cult, cult kind of band. Oh yeah, two brothers. Yeah, you'll, re- just you'll recognize them. Yeah, the Sparks. You'll recognize it as soon as you bring up a picture. You'll be like, oh, I know who that is. Oh okay. Um, but anyway, like it, it's going to work. I have no idea who really? those guys are. Jamie, see uh, the the one in the, the middle looks left to me, but I don't know that one. Where. And this side, middle left, that right there. That's like more the typical image that you might recall. Well, they were kind of art house. They did. They were. There was nowhere to put them, hmm. but they made a documentary. And I think what I've seen the trailer looks like it's going to be good. Uh, but boy, a lot of patience, and then they will gain a large, much larger, I think, audience from it, hmm. uh, because that's how people hear their music and see. They learn things now from obviously television, and they could never really be on the radio. So this will bring a new audience there's a documentary about leonard skinner that is seen that fucking phenomenal yeah there's a couple which which one is it i don't know which one i saw i didn't know i watched a couple i forget which channel there's one of those streaming channels that has tons of documentaries and they're just not good oh was it that because you got to get the rights to the music you got to get like real interviews and if it's just they have bands who will just kind of sound like skinner playing in the background like that doesn't work oh they do that all the time (laughs) oh God. It's expensive to get because they don't have the rights to the music. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And they get like the brother of a, you know, guitar tech. He's in it. Like it's not really. Oh no! But the one you're talking about, no, that's that's their history is amazing. It's incredible. I mean, what about the album cover itself? There it is. If I leave here tomorrow, yeah. it's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. That's so. Yeah, that's the one from 2018. It's so good. It's so good. It's like they're the greatest fucking thing that ever came out of Florida, by a long shot. Tom Petty. That's true too. That's right. I forgot. Actually, Tom Petty both, came both, from fucking Florida. Both from Gainesville. Really? I used to live there. Lived in Gainesville for a little right, bit. I teach you about your hometown heroes. Well, I was only there for three years. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, that band, uh, Leonard Skinner, to this day, they still have some songs where you just go, oh, I forgot about Curtis Blow. Curtis Lowe, that song, um, Sing Me a Song, Curtis Lowe. That's people forget about that song. Yeah. It's well, they had their ballad. staples. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, their their history is amazing. Uh, who is it? I'm facing from Blackfoot, uh, the guitar player who's back in the group right now. Uh, can we bring that up real quick? Uh, Blackfoot, that band. He's one of the original. He was one, like, there's nobody left in the group. I think they retired. Maybe they're coming back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ricky Medlock. He was like the original. Do you know that's the story? It was probably in that in that film. He was the original yes. guitar player. Then he's then the, he comes back. Yeah, he left, and then after the plane crash. But he's not a part of the lineup that made those records that people really are right. aware of. But um, yeah, I mean, if you look at this, just only Gary Rosington left. I mean, it's a. I mean, from the original lineup, we should say. Well, uh, some, some guys King survived recently. the plane crash, right? Yeah, well, I think it was. Yeah, it was four people who died. Um. Ed King just passed. He's he wrote, I believe, uh, "Sweet Home Alabama." That was his riff. Mm, Ed, Ed King. Really? He was only in it for a minute. They didn't get along. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a it's a long history band. Like that documentary was good. Uh, and just learning. By the time that band was really popular, people had already come and gone. It, it already evolved from different members. 
That's got to be one of the hardest things about a band is getting all the personalities to sync up and get along with each other while you're touring, while you're making albums, while you're putting music mm-hmm. together. That's not easy. I mean, and your chances of really sustaining that for very long are not very good. Because generally bands are put together when you're kids, you know. It's kind of a young person's dream being a rock band at 21. But yeah. you don't really have any experience and you don't have any needs yet other than you know rent or something. So to be together by the time you guys are now 41 or 42, 20 years later, like that's not really a normal like arc. It's no. hard. It's hard. And you, you, you know the things that bind you when you're starting, like you don't even know who you are yet. Music is really, that's what's binding you right now. But right. over the next couple of years, you're just going to start going like, you can't help it. You yeah. Know, and people are going to, so it usually doesn't work. The best ones, you know, they can, that's why people don't start great groups in their 40s or 30s. No because one Because you know too, what, I mean, what great group really, you can do side projects, but not the all for one, one for all thing in your 30s because you all know too much now. You know that this isn't, this is, model's not going to really work. Right. You know, but and when you you're young. you might have kids and you might have wives. And... Yeah, and like you, you're, it's naturally looking out for your own self a little bit more. But yeah. when you're starting out, like, you know, the music is the most important thing to you and you know, but reality hasn't really shaped anybody yet. In, the, in that way, it's very similar to comedy that when you're starting out, like all you want to do is just go out there and do it. And you don't, you just want to make it. You want to somehow or another make a living. Mm-hmm. You want to somehow, somehow or another be able to figure out how to, this is my job. I, mm-hmm. I tell jokes or I sing songs. Like, how can I do this? Is this possible? Yeah. It seems impossible. And your overhead's very low. Yeah. Or actually, yeah, you don't need much, right? You don't need much. And you're just, yeah. you're running... And it, that's how that's it's very similar to how bands start, you know. But then, how many change. guys from your early days are you with today? None, zero. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, somebody I met had the same conversation a couple of years ago with a producer who just I was, I was making one of the, I've made solo records also, and he asked. Uh, I think I had to go do shows with my band, and he was like, "You still have the band?" And I said, yeah, I do in the summertime. We do go and do some shows. And he kind of was stumped. He goes, oh, bands are for kids. He didn't mean like for kids to come to the show. He meant being in a band. You're in a, you still want to be in a band? Like you didn't grow out of that yet? Because it really is for kids. It's a sustained like immaturity level that just like travels across the country and has two hours a night that they get, you know, a lot of affection. And it's not really a normal course of life, really. So it's going to, it hits a wall at some point. Yeah. But, Sometimes when artists are in a band and then they leave to do a solo project, it's just never the same. They're not the same thing without the band. No. Mine was never that kind of band. There are bands like what you're talking about. You know, nobody wants to see The Edge leave you too, which just won't be you right. two without them. Right. Okay, but you did put up with a couple of changes in the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian Jones died or he le- he was fired and then um, Mick Taylor came in and they got Ron Wood. I mean, there, yeah. some bands... You know, little. If we do it like a little bit at a time, it's like you know, don't steal the, you know, don't steal all the money at once. Just kind of take a dollar at a time. No one's going to notice. Right. That that right. might work. Um, but those groups, you know, they're, they're they're far and few between. The ones that really matter, you take one person out, it doesn't work. There's not that many really. Mo- really, like you can you can do it. It's not that hard to do. And then he has some like you mentioned Led Zeppelin. Like they they refuse to ever go on without John Bonham, understanding that there is no Led Zeppelin without him. But you know the Who lost Kenny. Uh, they lost uh, Keith Moon and they put in Kenny Jones. I like that record. It wasn't yeah. the same. You know you can't replace uh, Keith Moon, but Kenny Jones was pretty good too. I like that record. You know so it can work. You can do both. I mean, 
But there are some groups, undoubtedly, you take one person out, it's just never the same. Yeah, with Kiss, it's got to be Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. With The Stones, it's got to be Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Yeah, of course. Well, and now, well, you've had, you've had Ron Wood for, yeah. what, 45 years? I don't know. Um, and Charlie Watts, of course. But uh, you've seen it. There's like 40 people on that stage. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people up there, right? <laughs> yeah, so... But we you know what used to work doesn't work all you know, you can't like with Zeppelin were around, I'd like to think they wouldn't have, you know, auxiliary members. But, you know, if you have a long career like the Stones and you've got your disco records from the seventies and you've got a lot of percussion, yeah. People kinda of want that full show. As long as those you know, the, the core people are up there. You know, Bill Wyman's been gone. Do you know how long he's been gone already? How long? Like thirty five years or something. He's been gone wow. forever. Wow. Yeah. Do you get together with other rock stars and just have a conversation about, We're doing about the business? Well, you're a rock star. I'm a comedian. It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? Sort of. You're, Something. You're funnier performer. than most guys in bands. <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, don't play, you know what's nice about you? You don't play guitar better than me. Ah, that's, that's nice. That's nice. That's refreshing for me. <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I have friends who are musicians. But, I mean, you feel like it's... One of the things about comedy is we all get together and we talk about the art form a lot. It's like one one of the beautiful things about podcasts is we've had so many conversations with comics. Yeah, where we talk about how you do it. What you know? What's the process? Do you, do you guys do that? Do you get together with other musicians? Yeah, we and, do. But there's a certain amount of it that you can have a dialogue about, and then there's a certain amount of it that none of us know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just going by feel. Well, yeah, and you just you know. You know, if anybody ever asked me, like, well, any advice on how to write songs? Like, no, I don't, no. Do you have inspiration that comes out of nowhere, or do you have specific times where you sit down and write? Your best ideas come out of nowhere when, you, when you're not ready for it. That's the stuff that's going to be your song. But the rest of it, you got to go home and got to go to work. You know what I mean? Like, you, you might have an idea for a bit. Ooh, that's funny, but you just heard something came to you. But now you can already immediately, you're aware of how much work it's going to take to surround this thing and make it your bit. And that's mm. what songs are like. You get this idea uh, and this thrill of like, that could be a great song. But the rest of it's not gonna just fall on your head. The rest of it you gotta go home and now you gotta put it all together and make it become something. Mm. But do you do you ever just sit down and try to have a, a writing session to. with just a blank piece of paper? Yeah, and... it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. And I was just like, you know, yeah. hey, listen, you got that flight in two hours. Here's some paper. You need some jokes. Right. Like, it's hard, isn't it? Right. I mean, it's it like, oh, it's forced. It's difficult. I can do that. And I have to do this sometimes. But the, the stuff that I've, that's lasted longer for me or been uh, more enjoyed, we'd say, is the stuff that was not like that. I used to hear that when I was younger. Like, Keith Richards would say that he doesn't write songs. He's an antenna. Uh, and I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I don't think. Or some people receive them like as gifts, like maybe God. I don't know. I don't think God's writing songs for anybody in a pop band anytime soon. Like I don't think that's how it works. I was I had a more of a cynical idea about it, but I do kind of get the receptor antenna bit now a little bit more. Yeah, because that part of your brain that your you know, you know automatic writing is. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Like yeah. you have to be a certain state to do it, and I've done it when I didn't expect it. It's crazy, but you actually just shut down. Like you could be so inside that. These things will come out. You'll write them down, and like they literally will make you enter some kind of zombie phase, and it happened. It's yeah. real. It's a real thing. I believe it. I'd heard about it for a long time, and then it happened to me. Um, the best songs are kind of like that. If you're open, 
you know, you leave, you kind of leave your brain clear, like these ideas will come to you and they're going to come to only you probably. So that in itself makes it a unique idea. And then hopefully you've got some level of ability and skill set to put that together in the song that you or yourself, yourself or someone else might want to listen to for three and a half minutes. Like they're coming out of something that's not your conscious mind. They're coming out of some form. Exactly. Well, those ideas. Connecting these thoughts. Maybe the germ, the idea. Yeah. I mean, most songwriters you talk to will tell you the same thing. When you have to sit down and really focus on it, like those are, you can do that. We all have to at times. Um, but the better ones are the ones you just can't explain why you got that. But mm -hmm. don't over intellectualize it that it's a gift from anybody. Right. It's right. Not. Right. It's just a song. That's all it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't make a big deal out of it. You're not special. Let's leave it with that. Yeah. Let's end with that. Okay. <laughs> don't make a big deal out of it. You're yeah, not special. Just, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Right. I appreciate it. Likewise. I'm hey, out. real quick before I go, is this is this a stormtrooper? Is it just? It's I'm, a lighter. It's a I know, cigar but lighter. is this supposed to be a stormtrooper? Uh, it could be. Has no one else mentioned that before? Um, no, but I thought it does definitely stormtrooper esque. Okay. okay, I think that new Lamborghini uh, is it Lamborghini that has the uh, SUV. Yes, that looks like a stormtrooper too. It does a little bit. Yeah, if you get a white and black one, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking. Yeah. Do you drive anything crazy like that? No. What do you drive? You seem like maybe a like a old Volkswagen. Really? Type guy, or maybe something cool. The thing? Like an old BMW thing? or something like that? No, I have a 67 Firebird. Ooh, now you're oh, talking like a my show Ringo. car. A show car. I'm okay. not, not you jacked. You drive it? No, I mean, it's not a jacked up car. There's no, like, you know, crazy. There's no, like, there's no, like eight ball gear shifting. It's, oh. like a, it's, a, it's a show car, meaning it's all original. They're all, all original, restored. Yeah, and then when I actually want to go places and also go home, I have a Jeep. Oh, okay. It's vintage cars. Yeah, because when know. you were talking about Lamborghinis, I'm like, there's no way Jacob Dylan drives a fucking Lamborghini. Uh, you know, no, just, no. There's, can't. I mean, I, a cool car is a cool car. I got no problem with them. I just more practical than that. Like, if it moved me, I'd get one. Did you ever get a rock star car? Something My crazy. My '67 Firebird. That's it. That's a rock star car. Isn't it? it is a rock star yeah. car. Yeah. I used to actually. I did. I had another '67 Firebird. You've had more than one. Well, yeah, I had one twenty something years ago, a red one that I'd. Uh, wasn't the best one, and then a couple years ago, I got another one. It's a great fucking car. It's cool. I mean, you know those cars? All oh, those... fuck yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, like, my God. I'm a collector. You know what? Like, but that car, the, the, the Firebird. Yeah. Obviously, you know you could have the Camaro. Mm -hmm. But isn't the guy who noticed that it was the Firebird is the one you want? That's the guy. Because that's like when, like, when we drive it, if somebody says, you know, nice Mustang, it's like, okay, thank oh, you. Or they say, nice, nice Camaro. Right on. And then if somebody says, nice Firebird, it's like, oh. Uh, you understand. You're in the know. You know. It's yeah. It's cool. Because it just kind of slipped right through those muscle right. cars. But it's the one. Yeah. Oh, it's a great car. Yeah, it's cool. It's one of many. It's not the one, though. Which would be yours from that era. I'm talking the muscle cars, you know, the, you know, the uh, not the jacked up ones. Because that's that sweet year right in there, this late 60s. Yeah. The 67 stuff I always liked because they were messing with the future. Everything had a Jetsons vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a 1965 Corvette convertible. That's oh, yeah, the yeah. shit. Those, I like those. I like the early 70s ones too. Those are great. That's yeah. a great shape. It was yeah. like 68. I think they changed over to the yeah. the third body shape. Maybe yeah, those it might are, have been 67. Those, you know what's the one I really like? I wish they made a convertible. Some people have chopped them, but they don't. That's not. I wouldn't do that. Is the Riviera like the 65? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I mean that's a beautiful car. That's a beautiful car. And they did not make a convertible. No. Well, if they did, it would be so floppy anyway. Wouldn't have. Any yeah, rigidity. I mean, if you look them up, people, you'll see one. You'll think they did, but those are modded. Somebody mm. cut the top off. 
yeah, that era of cars was in a lot of ways like that era of music. Yeah. It was beautiful and wild and so different than anything that came before it. Yeah, and you know what I did not know is John DeLorean had a lot to do. You know, he designed the Firebird. Did he really? Yeah. DeLorean did. Wow. Yeah, you could look that up. He actually, the coolest car is what he designed. Uh, I forget what it was called. Late 60s, and it's a, it didn't take off. They, they did make like maybe six of them, and it, it looks exactly like a Firebird and a Corvette combined. What's it called? Can we look that up? Because I want you to see that. That's If you look up DeLorean, like his first, it's like late 60s. Let's see what we can get on that. You should see this car. I mean, it looks like a fake car because it's just like, how come I never saw that before? And why didn't they make that? Um, but then there was, you know, well, this had nothing to do with his ultimate demise, John DeLorean. But um, if we could find that car, you seen anything? Uh, I was looking through an article. I thought I was going to have it. It didn't. Um, how, would you, how would you look that up? No. John DeLorean, 60s. Uh, I mean, there's the Firebird, but. No, that's. Uh, there's the Firebird. Oh, look, bottom right. Uh, what's that? This thing? What's that? Oh, what is that? That's oh, it? That's not it. What is High that? High output? What the fuck is Pontiac that? Farrago? Oh, that looks weird. 69 Pontiac Farrago. Oh, it's right there, the Banshee. 64 Banshee. Look at that. Whoa, that's not a Corvette? No. 64 Pontiac Banshee. Isn't that cool? Oh, so it's a concept car. Yeah, I don't think the... Uh, no, but wow. there, there are like... God, that's so pretty. Isn't it cool? That's beautiful. It actually looks like a Firebird in a Corvette. Is it a metal Corvette looking? I mean, it's a metal shape. It's not fiberglass, right? I don't know. The, God, it's, it's so it's similar a, to look the Look, it's real. There it's it is. Kind of a ripoff. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Look at the... How it opens up. And it has kind of like Firebird-esque mm -hmm. rear, um, what is it looking like from the rear? The taillights, yeah, yeah. If you can see those, those are like the Firebird. Right there. Oh, yeah. wow. That's fucking beautiful. Wild that they never made that. Yeah, Joe, you make some money. You should try to track one down. Okay. No. <laughs> there are a handful. Get the Firebird, Yeah, though. but those are, I don't like old cars oh. with old brakes and old engines. Oh, no. I like uh, yeah. Resto I'm with you mods. on that. You want like a '54 like pickup truck with a laptop under the hood. I want something where there's brakes that work and a suspension that turns yeah. and a you know. No, I'm with you on that. Look at this, like the back of Firebird. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. No, I'm cars. with you on that. There's certain things about we got better at some things. Yeah. Our brakes got better. Yes. Yes. You know? They're still tricky to drive because they're not really designed for it. But there's some companies now that take old cars like that they, and they do uh, a, a different chassis. Yeah. So they'll put on like a different frame and a different not that modern anyway. suspension. I mean, I get it, but I'm like, I, something cool about driving an original one. It, it, it yeah, is it's, something it's cool. It's a pain in the ass to maintain at times, yeah. that's for sure. $750,000. Woo. Wow. Which it was, was whack, whack to, to save. save Corvette. Oh. What does that mean? It's a Corvette killer. But they probably oh, they, they killed got, it. Okay. Because Chevrolet. Threat, yeah. Yeah. Threatened Chevrolet with performance potential. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks a little bit too much like a Corvette, too. Yeah. Quite honestly. Let's not get one. Let's not. Jacob, thank you very <laughs> much for being here, man. I really enjoyed Likewise. it. Likewise. I really appreciate it. And uh, your new album is out. It is July. What's this Friday? Is this Friday? Okay. So is that so, the eighth or the ninth? Yes. Today is the sixth. Um, We're recording. Yeah, this and the sixth. I should say that we are. I don't. I'm not going to be getting in the bus doing the full summer touring, but we are out there playing. In, in you have August a list, and, though. You do have a list. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and read this. They wanted me, but many, they wanted you to. Well, I can't look. I mean, can you even read that? No. Yeah. I mean, look. Can you even read that? Uh, I can't without glasses. I don't know if I could with glasses. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah.
Uh, we are going to be. You know, we're going to be playing. Where, Records out this Friday. There, there you Jamie's go. Jamie's found it. Oh, I have to read it. Okay, that. so you're in Huntington, New York, Lexington, Massachusetts, ah. East Greenwich, Rhode Island, Alexandria, Virginia, Brooklyn, New York, a lot of places. Is there a website? Yeah. It wasn't on one that I could find, but uh, yeah. How'd you find this? I got sent oh, that the, in an email. The e- email. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, we got a street team. Street team will holler at you, folks. <laughs> Thank you. All right, buddy. Thanks, brother. Thank Appreciate you. it. Bye, everybody.